I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, for two hours and 45 minutes, Graham McMillan and I storm the chapel perilous that is comic book pop culture with lengthy discussions about Batgirl 35, Clarion Number 1, Transformers vs. G.I. Joe Number 3, Avengers, issues 227 through 250 by Roger Stern, Al Milgram, and Joe Sinnott, and much, much more. Plus, we also talk TV, including the shows Manhattan, Twin Peaks, and New Girl, and we have the hilarious winners in our Are You Feeling the Feeling That I'm Feeling contest. More semi-blurry show notes are now available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeffrey David Bruce Banner Lester. Hello! <laughs> Was it Robert Bruce Banner? It was Robert Bruce Banner. Well, where did David come from? Isn't there a David Bruce Banner? I'm going to have to look this no, up. No, 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 no. You don't have to. I know. <laughs> 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 Tell me. Where's David come from? David Bruce Banner is the uh, Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> because somebody thought both, I guess, Robert and Bruce sounded that- a little too... Yes, right. I yeah. remember that. They, they, they were worried that people might think that the character was gay because he was called Bruce. I know, right? That's a little like the 70s were a weird time. A weird time. So, you know. Yes, that, it, it was a shining moment in um, television network notes, I think. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think there were a lot of them <laughs> back then. Why don't we just call this guy David? That way he definitely seems straight. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Can you imagine, like, you're like Stan Lee, and you're like, you've presented your whole thing, and everyone's like, uh, Stan, look, I just gotta stop you. This, this, this is all great, except that name Bruce. Little, uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. We've got no problem with the guy turning green when he gets stressed, okay? We've got no problem with the ripped shirts. See, problem- I think that's it. I think that's it. I think if he'd been Bruce and you didn't have, like, his shirts rip off, the guys would have been like, that's fine. But those two things together, they clearly meant one thing. Wait, you know what I always thought it was? Like, genuinely, I always thought it was probably a note from someone called Bruce. Mm-hmm. Who had been teased as kids and was just hypersensitive about it. Really? I always saw that. Because it, it doesn't make sense otherwise. I mean, it, it not that it makes sense in any world, but do you know what I mean? Like, Because there, there's nothing... Like, Bruce is just Bruce. I've never heard Bruce be slandered in any way. I, I never have either. But again, my thing is... Graham, it's it's amazing that that's your your story because my story is like okay, big bag of cocaine. This person <laughs> goes to lunch with Bruce Valanche and then comes back to take notes on the Incredible Hulk. And his big note is no, Bruce is the most gay name ever. Trust me, I'm hip and I'm on ridiculous amounts of cocaine. There is no straight person named Bruce ever. So I, that's, that's, I mean, but think about it. Think about the notes, man. I think somebody should just gather like the network notes for shit like Knight Rider, like BJ and the Bear. Just the fact that you can get a show called, called BJ, BJ and, the Bear, and the Bear, but someone is like, whoa, 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 
Bruce sounds a little too homosexual, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Not like hand job and the monkey over there, you know? It's like, oh, oh boy. Let me tell you. Hand job and the monkey? That's where we've gone already. <laughs> I can't believe you fell quiet. I'm like, man, that talking, hand talking job and the monkey minutes. was like... Honest God, you say Hand Job of the Monkey reminds me more than anything else of Tales of the Golden Monkey. Right. Which is now... Which was, you know, Indiana Jones, but so much cheaper and shitter that oh, it almost bears no relationship shit. to Indiana Jones. It was like, Indiana Jones, if someone is making the show after their friend saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, but had a really bad memory and tried to explain to them what it was like... Which I have to say is how I've been trying to describe the second season of Twin Peaks, you know? Because doesn't the second season of Twin Peaks sound really seem like it was being made by people who just been told about the first season of Twin Peaks, like in a bar oh, or something? Well, I, first of all, yes. Uh, most stuff, I should say. I, I meant to tell you. Yes. Um, you have the uh, Kindle app, right? Or you have a Kindle? Yes. Anyone who has the Kindle, you can get the Reflections book. Uh, the Oral History of Twin Peaks is part of the Kindle Unlimited library yeah. scheme. Hmm. So that, or you could buy it for like I think it's ten dollars or, right. or twenty dollars if you want it in print. Huh. But um, yeah, I'm 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 partially working my way through that very slowly right now. Interesting. Do you have Kindle Prime, Graham, or is that... Uh, I No, I'm probably going to get it. I'm, I'm going to sneakily get it for the free month and cancel it. Ah. Just just to read this book. Um, but, yeah, well, the, the, you get a, a you know preview mm-hmm. section for free, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like the first 45 pages of the book or something. Ooh. So I'm still in there. Well, I have to say, also, it's like after making that completely cheap comment... The there are bits in the second season of Twin Peaks uh, that are just phenomenal. It's just the series I overall. Actually, I actually don't remember the bits that were phenomenal. Oh, really? I oh, no. I remember it being. I remember liking a bunch of it, mm-hmm. but even as a, I mean, Twin Peaks aired what eighty nine, ninety one? Uh, yeah, something like that. So I mean, I, you're I'm you know, fifteen, sixteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not an amazingly discerning fifteen, sixteen, and I remember very clearly being like, "Something's gone hideously wrong." With oh this yeah, show. oh yeah, 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 and it really was obvious. But um, uh, yeah, I could, I could make a list. I, I, and I do you know what should. I remember? Do you know what I remember being like the thing that really I was like the indicator more than anything mm. that um, Audrey completely changes personality. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They go, they go from, you know, she's the, I mean, what? She's the jailbait femme fatale of the show in the mm-hmm. first season to she's found love and she's going to be the best person, the best girlfriend in the world. Right. And it's like, what the fuck has happened? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing I think is kind of interesting is there's a whole ton. Well, okay. So my thing is, uh, that Twin Peaks is very much about that sort of, in a way, it was almost like what they wanted to do with Lost later, I think, in terms of the black character. Like, it looks like it's a very black and white situation, and then the idea was to sort of introduce a lot of ambiguity. So a lot of the bad characters in the first season of Twin Peaks become good characters in the second season, 
uh, and the good characters um, of season one actually are supposed to become a little more gray or you're supposed to see darker sides to them, which is why that the big shocking finale of the series is very much that is, is very much that idea taken to its, to its extreme. To its extreme. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's just it. They didn't, the bad characters didn't become, uh, morally ambiguous as much as they just sort of got lobotomized. Yeah. Lobotomized. And that was the problem. That's always to me, the problem with, with David Lynch in a way is he, he always had his, his belief in evil and his depiction of evil is actually really uncomfortable and convincing and terrifying. And his description of good is actually kind of spotty. Like every once in a while. I mean, that really is kind of the thing as, as, uh, as Abbe was sort of talking about on Tumblr. One of the great things about agent Cooper is he really does manage to be in, in a very sort of, light and goofy way you can seriously believe in him as kind of this avatar of good you know what i mean yeah and and that is one of the things that is so refreshing about the series as a whole mm-hmm. he is amazingly cartoonish on, yeah. in one sense but so cal mclaughlin's performance is so sincere yes that you just buy into it. Yeah. It's, instead, it, instead of thinking like, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He's so, he plays it so straight. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, this guy's just, you know, potentially mm-hmm. he has not fully developed right. <laughs> intellectually, but nonetheless, I'm rooting for him. I, I believe in him as, as a character and I believe in him as the good guy in the show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so I feel like the, um, Part of the problem with Twin Peaks is the everyone's flip towards good, such as with Audrey, is so ridiculously unconvincing for the most part. Um, there are – I remember one of the things that, that kind of stacked kind of interestingly was you had, you know, Bobby Briggs, who in season one is kind of like – a huge evil turd. And then you kind of see him get slapped around by his military dad. And you're kind Mm of supposed to be like, Oh, that's kind of his deal. But interestingly enough to me, maybe he was awesome later or I just wasn't paying attention. But Dana Ashbrook who plays Bobby Briggs kind of wasn't the kind of actor to be able to carry that off. But interestingly enough, his dad who played the guy playing major Briggs, his dad who later turned has his moment of being a good guy. Like there's a scene in season two with him in the diner where he's telling his son that he loves him. And maybe even another scene where he's talking about being abducted by UFOs, where it's like really compellingly convincing, you know, at least you're, for me. You're making me want to rewatch the show, which I actually stopped myself doing when they announced the movie. Mm. Cause part of me was like, Oh, I should totally rewatch. And then, you know, I was just thinking, no, because I think I'll just be disappointed. I think I'll just be completely distracted by what doesn't live up to my memory. Mm. And also, there are so many other things that I'm supposed to be watching right now. I'm sure. I'm sure. I think that would be hard for you. I have always been like, I I bought the Twin Peaks box set on blue on DVD as soon as it came out. And was like, the, oh the my one that's God, got so the movie and everything? The, the, the uh, one that just came out? I, no, no, no. The one that came out earlier that was still incomplete. I still, I suppose I should trade that in for the master set now. But, um, but one of the things that struck me when I sat down and I started watching it is 
very similar to what happened when I tried rewatch. Basically, my thing is, is, is that it's a good thing that David Lynch kind of is so good at making David Lynch movies because I find the rewatchability is really low. Like for me, like as brilliant, they're always brilliant and gripping the first time through. And I always end up remembering so much of it, but I remember sitting down to rewatch like Mulholland drive, which I loved or, uh, inland empire, which I thought was astonishing when I first watched it. And I just get kind of, restless it's very much like i i kind of i know what's i know what's coming there he he has well, his such stories a, for the most part are based upon the uh unpredictability yeah the unpredictability and the feeling of dread of what's coming next and once you know what's coming next like even in something where i think with twin peaks where some of the stuff that is just so uncomfortable and brutal with the stuff with, that's related to to bob and and the ultimate reveal of Laura Palmer's uh, murderer is even with that stuff, that's so uncomfortable sitting through the rest of it really feels uh, it's it. You just don't dread it in the same way. The, the difference between dreading you, you, you dread it in a, in an entirely different way. Yeah, it's true. It sounds, I mean, that sounds really dumb. To say out loud. Well, no, it's, 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 it's very sort of cheap. Do you know what I mean? It sounds yeah. like you're going for the joke where you're like, yeah, instead of a sense of, you know, existential dread you've got a sense of uh, why am i watching this shit dread yeah i am an npc I mean. sitcom and that's my punchline right exactly but but sadly i i think i'm trying to talk about the difference between dreading not knowing what's coming next and the dread of knowing exactly what's coming next are 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 they're like two weird different flavors you know what i mean it's the difference between like dark chocolate and milk chocolate or something and so consequently if they were, you know, if they were horrifying. And so somehow it's just not <laughs> the same if chocolate thing. chocolate was horrifying. Exactly. Which it's not. It's <laughs> chocolate. But bear with me. If it was. Yeah, see. So there we go. Um, so there, there is some stuff that I do love. But I, I do think, apart from your super busyness, I think a lot of us who are probably strongly tempted to sit down and rewatch Twin Peaks, I think I it's... I think there's more than enough reason not to, to be honest. Yeah. I will tell you something else that you should be watching, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Manhattan yet? Uh, no, but Edie the loves series, the show. Not the Woody Allen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really really very good um i started watching it for two reasons one they had the writer on the nurse writers podcast last mm-hmm. week uh, and he i just found it a very interesting interview and was very interested in the way he went into the story i guess mm-hmm. uh but also i got sent a screener hilariously of the last two episodes <laughs> um and which was basically like it, the pr hilariously was pretty much of the Hey, it turns out people really like the show. Mm-hmm. You might want to like check up the other episodes on Hulu and then watch these last two and mm-hmm. see if you want to write about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. I'll, I'll check out the first couple of episodes on Hulu. And it's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really, really very good. Someone described it as Mad Men, but with bombs instead of the advertising agency. Right. 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 And I can see how they do, how they get there, mm-hmm. but it's so much, uh, Something that I think makes Mad Men work is that it is it plays off the uh, ephemeral nature of their jobs. 
mm-hmm. uh, with the the seriousness with which they take their work. Mm. And obviously, when you're doing something for the Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. these guys are fucking building a nuclear bomb, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what really works in the the first few episodes is the sense that they're building this thing that some of them honestly believe will end the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they also think, they also feel compelled to do it. They think right. they don't have the, the, the choice not to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're left with these people who are, who hate their jobs mm-hmm. in, in a way that, you know, you or I could never understand, <laughs> but are also completely unable to talk to anyone about that. Because not even their family knows what they're working on. See, it's so interesting because, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how strongly uh, Manhattan builds itself around Richard Rhodes' book, the the building of the atom bomb. Uh, I don't remember what it's called. It was called the Manhattan Project. But you know, uh, Rhodes's book came out like maybe a decade or two ago, uh, and I and. It's it sat on my shelf forever. I still haven't gotten to it, uh, ridiculously enough. But I remember reading a review that was sort of talking about the book. And one of the things that struck me about the Manhattan Project, at least back then, is how it is part of why I, th- I always thought it would be kind of a brilliant idea for something dramatic, especially especially a TV show. Like TV shows, so much of TV shows are about work. You know, they're essentially yeah. American TVs. In, I, it's wor- I, I it's workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Is workplace stuff that it is a, 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 a little bit of a fantasy and a little bit of a meditation about work. Certainly post, I don't know, Mary Tyler Moore, you know, and well, even before, actually, because but so I I think that the idea of people like the guys working on the Manhattan Project is it really is like the myth of the American work ethic sort of taken to like practically these, like a mythological abstract level. You know what I mean? Like you said, there are these guys who literally are hating what they're doing. They're thinking that what they're going to do is destroy the world. And yet our strange compulsion about work, about duty, and also kind of about what sort of very much powered the first half of the 20th century in a way, that idea of like, if you could think it, it kind of had to be done almost, you Mm -hmm. know, um, struck me as an extraordinarily, um, TV esque idea. Let's put it that way. You know, you, you should be watching the show then Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that is pretty much exactly what the the episodes I've seen are about. Mm. Well, but also in a way, the, if do do, if especially hopefully as long as it catches i guess the seductiveness of that i suppose you know uh, d- it, you mean in the sense of the the characters have feeling a sense of power that they have a secret that others don't or i guess the idea that after a certain point the idea of being able to do something because you're the best at it I suppose. Oh, then yes, you should also yes. Okay. Uh, yes, that's there as well. Okay. Uh, um. Yeah. I. I think. I think the show is is pressing all of the buttons that you would want to see press. Mm. To be honest with you. Okay. Okay. Well, interestingly enough, <laughs> that means on the one hand, while I'd love to see it, the 
honestly, I have to admit that about as as strong a television series as I can handle is um, well, Graham. Let me put it this way: I'm going to describe it's a British TV show. Okay. Uh, imagine, and I want to see if you can get it based on my. French surrealist description of it. Okay, wait. Is it a British TV show that is currently running? What do you mean by n- not? Uh, by which I mean, like, it might not be on air in the UK right now, but it is, you know, within the last couple of years. Yes. Okay. So within, let's let's give it the the range of within the last ten years, the Brit the Brit show that is the most like watching a bunch of different breeds of dogs let loose in a variety of different brightly colored rooms to sort of caper about and bark at each other, bark at one another. Oh my God. Is it a drama? Is it scripted? Yes. It is scripted. Yes. But it's not a drama. So it's a comedy. Yes. Oh God. I have no idea. Um, my first thought was the IT crowd, but that's totally not a description of the IT crowd. No, it's not. And it is not the, di- the IT crowd. And who knows? Maybe I'll say this and you'll be like, I, I don't know. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've got to tell me. I, I honestly have no idea. Gavin and Stacy. Gavin and Stacy. Really? Yeah. I'm like, I, I'm just about at the end. We're just I, about I, at the I, end of season two. Yeah. I honestly would not have thought of that description for Gavin and Stacey. No, I didn't make it far past like the midpoint of season one. I can totally imagine. I can totally see that because it because it is well. But let me check. Let did me you did you get one. in there for Rob Brydon? Was he what brought you there? You know, I was I was brought here by my wife who started watching because I, I she, she definitely sold me on the Rob Brydon aspect of it. But honestly, we enjoyed the Wrong Man's. And oh so, yes, James Corden as well. Yeah, exactly. So she's like, yeah, I started watching it. James Corden. She'd seen the first season back on Netflix when they only had the first season, but because Hulu Plus threw in all three recently, she started rewatching it and was like two episodes into rewatching season one and was like, hey, you have to watch this with me. And I'm like, no, I just can't take, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. And she's like, no, 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 this will be perfect. And it is, I mean, it is such a flyweight uh, show. Um, and thank God, unlike a lot of other Brit comedies that are that, I don't know, broad. It does not have a laugh track, which makes such a huge difference, I think. You mm-hmm. know, because I actually still can't, even though I know they're the IT crowd, there is stuff that's brilliantly written in that, at least comedically. But I still can't, the oh, the laugh track just gets me every time. I just don't, I just don't have the patience for it. Anyway. So why did you jump off Gavin and Stacey? And believe me, I, I only uh, asked I, I, because I, I know off. there are multiple reasons to basically well, I, jump off well, Gavin and Stacey. I honestly just jumped off because I wasn't that into it and there's a million other things I could be watching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's nothing against it as much as it just didn't keep my interest. Well, it's – it. how do I put it? Again, it's very flyweight. It's uh, – I was reading a little bit of the description Ruth Jones had for it, and she was kind of like, yeah, it turns out that people sometimes want their cockles warmed, you know? And it is very, very much uh, a it's – a, it's a very gentle show. With, but I think that's like I've got nothing against comfort watching or comfort reading mm-hmm, or anything mm-hmm. like that. Do you know what I mean? Like I think that can actually serve a really good purpose, right? 
yeah, I, th- I know, thank God, which is part of why I'm able to admit it to you. But, like, it's sort of, it it makes the current season of, of New Girl seem laser sharp by comparison, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Wow, that is an astoundingly funny, telling, and bitchy thing to say. <laughs> well, thank you. That's I guess that's what I'm trying for. Graham. Exactly, you're like I that I hit on all three levels. <laughs> it's 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 it, to sort of pivot to that for a second. Are you watching the current season of New Girl? Uh, I saw like the first two episodes. I think I might be an episode or two behind now. Isn't it? Isn't it weird that it feels so old all of a sudden? Oh well. Yes and no. I mean, like, honestly. I, I honestly feels like all of a sudden a show and they're like it's fifth or sixth season. Yeah. Made by people who are closer to my age. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. The, the, the episode where it's like, uh, you know, we're using apps to date. What is this craziness? Yeah. And like last night, actually last night was the opposite. Uh, I say last night. I really mean the night before, but because of who leave at the day mm-hmm. uh, gap. Um, had a... And now we're using landline phones, mm-hmm. which came in with like, oh God, we're so old. <laughs> we remember when that wasn't a novelty. We remember when that was your phone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I thought that New Girl so badly limped across the finish line of last season, like just a bloody broken heap that I was kind of curious to see if they were going to... Try back. And, yeah, how they're if if they could come back, and the, at least the first few episodes was I was like, no. yeah, they can't. They, they've what? they've they've settled into a a groove. It's and and let me tell you, it's very much fourth season of Happy Days style groove. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, totally. It's 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 not a it's not a good groove by any stretch no, of the imagination. No, 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 they're definitely so they they it's. The the idea of, oh, here's this sort of goodwill that these actors have worked up by virtue of their charm and kind of their willingness to do everything, it, it has has just gotten to the point of like, yeah, we don't, eh. I mean, every once in a while, like the, I'm trying to think, there was an episode, I think it might have been the episode after the app dating thing where there were some really funny lines oh it's the stuff with um around the time that uh her her dad is like dating her classmate or whatever yes. that yeah. episode had it it had it has it has um it, it strikes me as a very la sitcom because one of the things i feel about la sitcoms is sitcom writers successful sitcom writers in la spend so much time bitching about sex that most of their funny jokes are actually like they spend more time figuring out how they can get really, really smutty stuff on the air. I feel like than any sort of like, I don't know jobs. What's it like having a job? I don't even remember now. This is my fourth straight season of being locked in a room and being alternately showered with like food uh, and money in exchange for never sleeping. So that's how everyone else lives, right? You know. Anyway, <laughs> new, new girl. I feel like your, your your hatred for LA just like poured out for a second. No, 
I actually, I, I don't know. I, this is this is the problem, Graham. Part of me is like, let me in. I'm a lazy human being that is barely tethered to humanity. I could really excel in that kind of field if it wasn't for the. <laughs> I'm one of you. I'm one of you. I'm one of you. Except that I just feel like I kind of don't have that sort of weird level of um, self obsession. I I was going to say something like, uh, yeah, basically vaguely dissatisfied, uh, like that weird oscillating wave of I'm disgusted with myself. No, wait, the world. No, wait, me. No, wait, you. Exactly. No, wait, me. I, I, I hate I, mean? I hate myself. I hate you. I hate myself. I hate you. I hate yeah. something. Is right. it you? Is it me? I don't know. Exactly. On a related note. I don't know. This is one of the things that was awesome. Uh, and by awesome, I mean kind of terrifying in terms of my self-realization was that uh, I was looking like I, I God help me. I was watching the, the New York Times uh, online coverage of the iPhone six is a, a very uncomfortable Venn diagram. You know, it like overlaps Wait. with the worst part of my soul. So I've why, been watching these you, things. Why were you watching that? Uh, for, for the worst reasons imaginable, Graham. I've, I've been out of my contract. Like my two years was up like six months ago. My iPhone 4S, which I adore is nonetheless being just annoying enough with like such small issues, such small, small back in the day when we were kids, remember how we used to hashtag things with first world problems. Like I'm having that with my iPhone 4S. like, Oh man, it's getting to the point where I really have to work to make sure that I have enough battery through the day or my God, I am so sick of this stupid keyboard miss like me mistyping every single thing like you know just those those i can't the most base trivial things are making me be like but you know what if i went and got that huge phone that everyone says is a disappointment and and <laughs> you know paid hundreds of dollars for it for no reason wouldn't that be better what you is know? very funny is that you're telling me those uh just Less than an hour after Kate is watching the today's Apple keynote, oh right, and she's like, maybe I should get a new iPad because they're talking about that. <laughs> well, to be fair, I have to say that my my iPad Air has been is a thing of beauty. I do, I adore it. I was, re of course, reading Avengers comics like a madman over the last couple of days, and I'm like, my God, I'd, I'd like to great. take a second. Uh, Welcome, everyone, to Wait What, the comic book podcast, where it has literally taken us half an hour to talk about comic books to, for the to, first time. To, to and mention, even then, yeah. we were literally just mentioning it in passing, because we're actually talking about technology. Yeah. yeah. We'll now return you to what Jeff and I are actually talking about. <laughs> you know, I feel like we've been doing such a good job of being on point. People are like, ah, remember that day where you get, you guys talked about a cleanse for like 45 minutes and... I was trapped oh, in an I, elevator oh, listening should, to the podcast. Yes. I will also uh, interrupt to say uh, Kate and I are actually starting a cleanse again next week. Okay. So the next episode, ladies and gentlemen, will be a cleanse episode. Oh, great. That's for at least great. half of us. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Jeff, I think you should also start a cleanse at the same time. Yeah. So the next episode 
we can be nuts. Oh, that would be that would be great. By which I mean, I. I <laughs> By which I mean, no, no way. No, that will never happen. We'll except, see. Yeah, except there is a chance. There is a chance. There is a chance. Anyway, getting back to your your you so, love your uh, your uh, iPads, but what you're really saying is about the phones. Yeah, so the phones. So the phone, iPhone 4s. Part of me is like, eh, maybe I should get one. No, I shouldn't. Yes, I should. Let and part of me is like, well, let's see what the this thing this iPhone 6 has been out in the world for a couple of weeks now. What the fuck are people saying about it? And me being me, all I can find is what the New York Times wants to tell me about it. So I'm like, what? okay, fair like, play. Don't you not use Google? How do you only find the New York Times? Does you... How does that even happen? I am actually dumbstruck by that. I, no, really. How I, does that happen? I, I, I don't know. I don't know, Graham. I type iPhone 6 reviews into the Google box. All you get is the New York Times. I can't get off the first page, man. Even on page two, they're still going with the New York Times stuff. I'm like, okay, fine, fine, fine. Because you know how Google is. Like, the the front page, it's like, it's I, all the major I, publications telling you what I, they think I about should, it. And the I spam should you not. I've yeah. literally just run that search on Google. <laughs> okay. And it gives me techradar.com and gadgets something mm-hmm. called trusted reviews right cnet mac rumors yeah the verge that's the front page i don't have the new york times on the front page yeah okay Forbes, mac world yeah ign okay auto yeah but, okay but let's put it this way I don't trust any of those people, do you? I don't. I mean, maybe Mac Rumors at tops, but I honestly and so gadget, what, what, what you're actually saying is you went looking for reviews that you felt you could trust, and the only one you felt you could trust was the New York Times. The, tr- the, the New York Times, somewhere on page two or three, was the first one where I was like, okay, the New York Times does not live or die by its iPhone 6 reviews. Not like Macworld, not like Endgadget, not like Game Arena, you know, not like CNET. All those dudes, and to give them their credit, they are either A, so um, chained to the Apple money teat, or B, are so staffed by people who are so ridiculously over-the-top excited about <laughs> I am I am biting my tongue to make a comic book analogy. Well, exactly, exactly. Like if I were to do like Civil it's like war reviews or something. Exactly. Like that, you... I I wonder if Axis mm-hmm. is any good. Right. I'll go and check. Perfect. Comic book resources. A perfect comparison. Right. Yeah. You're not going to trust comic book resources. You're not going to. There's going to be a point. You'll get to somewhere where you sort of trust in that vague, like, oh, sure, they've got enough, they've got enough heft that they will have access to it, but they also aren't going to be unduly biased by it. Like, and I, and I don't know where the comic book equivalent of that is, but basically, for the new, I was like, okay, the New York Times, it's going to present something to me that's palatable, readable, and God help me, I'm close enough to that demographic that I technically kind of loathe at this point in my life partially because i realize how close i am to it that i can i can see their reviews right so 
that man, I can't even believe I haven't even gotten to the point of this story, which is going to be like such a wet fart after all. No, this no, I, I'm super excited. Come on, go. No, it's not going to. So basically, I ended up watching a, an entire seven minute review, which is one of the photographers for the New York Times doing a a shoot reviewing the Apple iPhone 6's photo capabilities, right? And so it's one of those things. It's him. It's in Times Square. It shows him shooting the photos. Then you see his photos. He's talking about it the whole time. And the entire time this guy is talking, I'm just so struck by how much I just want to slap the lips off his face. Because he is, on the one hand, he, it's... It's that way in which uh, he's just so here is a guy who is photographing, who is the photographer for The New York Times, who has won awards for his work, who is getting paid a ridiculous amount of money to take a tech giga and take pictures of homeless dudes who he later fist bumps and then, you know, tries to act like he wants to get away from before they ask for money. Oh, oh my God. Oh, this yeah. The fist, the homeless guy so fist bump is the worst. And wow. It is, it is that, you know, those people who on the one hand are so tremendously, immensely proud of themselves and yet at the same time radiate a deep dissatisfaction from the very soul, like they are completely and utterly discontent with where they've achieved in their oh, life. Oh, no, no, yeah, I, I am, yes. Right, those people. So I was watching this guy and listening to him and that weird sort of, like, self-contented slash uh, morose thing, you know, while he's sort of with his, like, perfect glasses and his ridiculously expensive like you know but homespun simple clothing i was just like uh these uh, the artisanal douche as it were i just uh, those people gross me out so much and here i was watching seven minutes of this i was basically hate watching an iphone 6 I, camera I review say. video yeah i really was oh. At what point did you just turn off? Because you were like, "I this is driving me insane. Well, it's seven minutes. So, you know, you're kind of like... <laughs> no. Did you have a complete ascendancy? Were you like, it's only seven minutes. Well, I can yeah, make it to the end. I can make Wait, it to you... the end. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. It's like you're, well, you are like a shortened version of me watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. last year. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it really is the, it's that off, well, part of it is the, it's only six minutes, but there's also that deeply fucked up, like, there is some weird, like, I'm, I'm, I'm ripping the bandaid off of my soul kind of feeling to it, where it's like, oh, this is a horrible feeling to kind of savor, but I'm kind of savoring it, you know, that thing, that, is that too gross nope. to admit. I, yeah, I, I don't even understand what you're talking about there, so. <laughs> really? So, yeah, Jeff, yeah, that, I don't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. you must you must hate watch something, Graham. You hate do you must you hate no, watch Agent of I, Shield, I, right? I hate, hate I hate watch Agent of Shield. No, that's I'm not even sure I hate watched it at the end. I think at the end I was honestly befuddled watching it. <laughs> I think by the end I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Yeah, but no, but you must have done. You must have watched. Well, maybe not. You must have watched hate watch something, Graham, haven't you? Haven't you like no? Here's the thing: when it actually really like... genuinely turns to hate, mm -hmm. I, fi I find something else to watch. Mm. 
when it really genuinely is like, I absolutely fucking despise this, then no, I will, I will honestly find something else to do. See, uh, where's me? Apparently, if I hate it and it's under seven minutes, I'm like, oh, go, 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 go. Do exactly. It. Let's let's get it done. <laughs> let's get it done, you fucker. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's not a, it's, it's, I feel like the first 38 minutes of this show has just been me making one horrible confession after another, but yeah, that's, <laughs> that's totally there. I, I, that is totally I there. finally, Jeff, you hate babies. You know, that's a great thing. I, I really don't hate babies. That's that, right. You actually, you actually kind of love kids. I, I do. I do. That is the great thing about having kids in your life. Because before, I wouldn't necessarily that I hated babies, although I have to say there were some that I kind of thought were, you know. Yeah, well, you know, they're, you can kind of think babies are dicks. That's fine. They were. They were kind of dicks, you know. But once once you sort of get back in touch with kids, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Right. So, yeah, no, so I have to say, seriously, we've got, and wait till we talk about comics. There's so many things that I'm going to be able to complain about, but. Oh, I can't wait. In fact, Jeff, I don't have to wait. (laughs) This is a comic book podcast. Yes. You know, I have to say, though, Graham, one of the first things that I did was stack up the comic books that I really liked reading. Or actually, you know, that's not that's not entirely true. <laughs> You're like, I, I didn't like reading anything. Well, OK, how about this? Let's start by talking about Batgirl 35. Yes, let's, because I know that you thought it was pretty and thought that everything else was a mess. And I'm super curious to hear about that. Well, OK, um, it'll be interesting to have me just re-say that sentence again. But one of the things that I, I was super <laughs> Jeff, impressed with. Tell me how you feel about <laughs> this <comic. laughs> you leading question mcmillan i shall uh i so i picked up batgirl 35 which is the only the second issue of batgirl in the new 52 that i've picked up right i picked up the first issue the very first issue by gil simone was like this is really not working for me put it down like i really want fun batgirl Issue 35 shows up, the arrival of fun Batgirl. And I'm like, this is fabulous. I pick it up and I read what is, thanks to Babs Tar, like, an amazingly, like, it felt like reading a double-sized issue. It was like reading a Batgirl annual, in part because Babs Tar, on average, has no joke between nine to 14 panels on a page. And well, well, first of all, while I do adore the artwork of Babsar, let's mm-hmm. actually credit uh, Cameron Stewart for that, seeing as he's doing layouts. Yeah, well, okay, so you're right. I should. But you know what? Also, you're like, but fuck him, because I didn't like the writing. Well, that, that, I know, yeah, I know that's exactly. where you're going, Jeff. That's where I, I am going. I'm story. going to the fact that I think that Cameron Stewart actually overplotted the issue i feel like if ever there was a phrase only recently introduced to me readers listeners by graham mcmillan himself of over egging the pudding it is batgirl 35 i just didn't i didn't i thought that for a book that jams in a ton of scenes where technically not much happens i felt like i didn't have much of a good take as to who the characters were Apart from, you know, angry one, partying one, 
sound of you know voice of reason one um and then batgirl herself who apparently has the power of bat photographic memory which was news to me which was the power that got used the most in the entire issue i just i found it vaguely kind of unlikable like i don't know it wasn't terrible but for a comic that felt that I thought part of this was my expectations of like, oh, looking at it, it looks like it's going to be fun. And it's not a it's not a crime that what it is is kind of more of a it's more of a contemporary book. And I feel that like a lot of contemporary culture has a little bit of that. Oh, gee, it it looks really fun on the glossy on a sort of because it's so glossy. But in fact, there's a lot of kind of turmoil sort of rolling back and forth in it. But I kind of thought that the, there was a lot of the, the dating app stuff felt, um, it just all, it just all kind of felt sort of trite. It's funny that you and I were talking about, um, Bob Haney so much in emails right before we, we went, we went online because I felt like Batgirl 35 really, really needed a little bit of the good Bob Haney touch as opposed to um, some of the, you know, Bob Haney. Bob Haney definitely committed to, like, I'm doing a book about today even if I don't understand what today oh, yeah, is. Yeah. I, and I, no, and I, I totally get that. There's definitely some element of the uh, Teen Titans Bob Haney in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the what are the kids into? They're into the internet. Okay, right. I, I'll do something based on the internet. Right. Oh, look, there's a QR code that's going to wipe his memory. Right. Like that. That that is very much uh, uh, an updated Haneyism, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there is a number of things where it's like, well, I've taken a selfie, so I can totally write about these people, and I I, I guess that's kind of true. Um. <laughs> You know, I don't doubt that Cameron Stewart has probably taken lots of selfies, but there was just kind of, uh, by the time you get to the villain of the issue, which really is a Bob Haney villain, let's face it, let's face which, it. Which I have to say, like, here's the thing, I totally see where you're coming from, but I also disagree with you on almost everything you've said. Okay. Well, in, in large part because I see a lot of this as good Haney. Okay. Great. I, I I do agree with you that he's a super uh, cartoonish villain, mm-hmm. and especially the resolution is hilarious mm-hmm. in its uh, slapdashedness, shall mm-hmm. we say? Right. The the QR code thing is uncannily bad, mm-hmm. but in a way that I adored. Well, I adored that part too. I guess my problem is there is a complete subtext about the issue that is still kind of grimy to me. You know what I mean? Right. I, I don't. Grimy in what way? Uh, it seems to run a little too close to the women meeting dudes on the internet. Like there's a weird, there's a weird roofie rape subtext to the entire episode. You know, to the the entire issue. It's not just that he is like evil DJ. It's that he is he is definitely an evil 4chan DJ. You know what I mean? And so there's something that's just kind of a little too 
and and this 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 probably sounds ridiculous because I think in a way that I think Bob Haney did this too in a way that we we later look at as good. But I remember as a kid reading some of the Bob Haney stuff and being a little creeped out by the way in which it's like, you know, yes, Sunday, two o'clock afternoon, a great day for a race war. You know what I mean? Like there's part of that that's sort of fun so, and great uh, now, So you're, but... you're, you're seeing it as uh, trivializing a serious I, subject? I, it's not so much that it trivializes it. It's just that it, to me, the tone is kind of, um, yeah, there's, it's, I, I can't, I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's even that if it's doing it seriously, it's doing it in a, it, in a really weird, there's a, there's a weird Batgirl as other part that I went through this book. Like when I finished this book, I was like, well, that is a Batgirl book. That's a, that is a book about women's issues as written by at least a man, if not two men, you know what I mean? That's, I did not get that at all. Hmm. At all. Okay. Uh, for me, the biggest fault of the book was that it was trying too hard. <laughs> well, uh, it, it certainly is very busy. Yeah. But, but in, in everything, Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think by the, I think it's very much going like, okay, she's young, she's hip, mm -hmm. but there's stuff that it, in many ways, it reminds me of the first couple of issues of Fractions Hawkeye, mm -hmm. where the character has absolutely no discernible link to any earlier rendition of Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. And the same is true here. This is not the Batgirl that's been in the earlier 34 issues of the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, and part of it is, I think that, Stuart and uh, Brendan Fletcher, the the co-writer, are really trying so hard to be like, it's all different, that they've made it so different mm -hmm. that you're like, I this is this is bad girl, I guess. And and for me, there's a sense of you, I don't see why you didn't just start with a whole new character. Well, you know, because well, yeah, yeah, yeah trademarks, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um. But yeah, it, 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 there was there was too much happening. Mm -hmm. The it could have been a two part story. Mm -hmm. I think I would have been more comfortable with the pacing had it been a two part story. Mm. See, whereas I feel like considering how minor that villain is, I think that would have been a huge mistake. the The biggest charm that I felt the issue had going for it was, was the yeah, was it like it felt like a hyper compressed comic book, and I was like, okay. Instead of being a terrible two-parter, that was, you know, by virtue, even though I don't like it, it was so <laughs> It was, at least it was fast. At least yeah, it was exactly. It's on to the next one. You know what I mean? Because, and, yeah. and I don't, I really don't think that, um, yeah, you know. We're at, but I mean, things like, uh, I actually, I agree that the, the characters are all relatively cartoonish mm -hmm. and, and very, very broadly painted in, mm -hmm. but I'm okay with that for a first issue. Like, it, it has suffered for me from mm -hmm. TV pilot syndrome. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Where they're like, you know, okay, he, you know, she's the funny one. She's the bitchy one. She's mm -hmm. the smart one. Okay, mm -hmm. this is where they're living. It's an apartment. They're young. They might get drunk. Maybe they'll hook up with each other's guys. Who knows? Wacky adventures. She's also a superhero. Finished. Right. You know, and you're like, okay, but really what I want to see is what is this actually going forward? 
And so for me, like this, this left me with a, it's a very pretty book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like the tone. I mm-hmm. think the tone is problematic. Mm-hmm. I don't really get a rapey thing from it, but I definitely think that the, um, because for me, like, I don't get a rapey thing from it any more than I get a rapey thing from, um, like, uh, the Snapchat leaks or the the iCloud leaks, right? Which well, I, I could totally kind of see. I, mean. I could yeah. totally see how there's like how I could totally see that as violation. Mm-hmm. But I think it's violation in. I think there's already a real life analog to it, so therefore going, but it's really about rape. Well, no, it's, I, it's, I'm it's sorry, going right. it's going too no, far. No, 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 no. Well, for me. okay, but uh, but but I agree that that's a serious thing, and I mm-hmm. think that I think one of the reasons I would have liked it to be a longer story is. I think that if they hadn't sort of sped through it, then they could have actually acknowledged it or given more weight to it, I guess. Yeah. Although they probably wouldn't because it wouldn't really fit with the rest of the tone. Right. Um, so yeah, to- tonally, I think it's problematic. Right. But more than anything, it just made me want to see what the second issue is because I want to see what the, st- the series is going to be going forward. It felt like a pilot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It did. It did feel like a pilot. And honestly... It's pretty easy to imagine it, and this is, I guess, both a weakness and a strength. Like, if you were trying to imagine the pilot of a Batgirl TV show and they just filmed this episode, it would oh, really work on the CW yeah. Network. Yeah, yeah, it, that's it. Mm-hmm. And and I so like I said, there's part of me that's like I enjoyed the thing that prevented that from being super problematic for me was the was because of how hard it worked, I guess. Because otherwise, it ends up being kind of uh it would feel it would feel i don't know um unambitious enough that i wouldn't really have much of an interest in coming back at least the oh, at least I, the I, overworked part feels like a sense of ambition that it's like oh, okay sure. if it can connect it's, with what it's going for it definitely feels ambitious mm-hmm. uh, and especially compared with the earlier issues in the series mhm like it's such a tonal change and mm-hmm. such a visual change mhm that mm-hmm just adds to that sense of ambition right do you know what i mean because there's very much a sense of like this is very clearly not what came before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely which which again might lead me to give it more goodwill than you because i have read more issues right well how do i put it like i i have i i was definitely like i'm going to come back for it for the next issue of this again because of the ambition but there were a variety of things, and, and uh, rather than try and sew up my connection to the rapey stuff with the with the with the violation, the Snapchat violations, and the nature of violation that seems to be going on these days, uh, let me just say, yeah, hopefully it'll it'll move on to some. I'm really looking forward to the second issue. I'm so glad the first issue is over. Let's put it that way. I really didn't. I that that the stuff that I didn't like. I really excessively didn't like and i'm praying that that's something that gets smoothed out really quickly going forward so but but i don't know like i said i'm you know the things that i don't like really did come from a very sort of entitled male angle that 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 is probably is is at the very least a very ungenerous take uh on my part on the material i'm aware of that but, uh, but that, it's still that's, the take that's that kind had. of that's kind of what i'm really curious about mm-hmm. and i don't think we'll ever get an answer but how much of this how much of your uncomfortableness with the material comes from 
your viewpoint as a 40 something white male. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it's going for a different target audience, is it just that that target audience does connect with it and in a way that you don't? Mm-hmm. Uh, could be. I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, I... Would... We'll, we'll never know, Jeff. You'll right. never be anything other than what you are. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> I guess what I mean is I, I haven't really dug much into the reception of... of it was, Do you think it was very amazing? positive. Yeah? Okay. I mean, it was amazingly positive. Okay. Okay. Well, that's... That's certainly, I mean, my thing is, is like, in a way, I, I don't know if she's any more the target audience, but I'm like, if Amy, AKA Tater Pie on Twitter liked it, then I'm just going to have to. Oh, I, I, I'm fairly sure she didn't, but I don't know. Did or did not? Did not. Oh, I see. Okay. So you don't think she's the target audience either? No. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I think the target audience is. Is like the the is a twenty something female audience, mm -hmm. not a thirty something female audience. Or I, actually, no. I honestly have no idea how old Amy is. So I, mean, I have no idea how old she Amy is either. But a seventy something female. When I said when I said twenty something, I was like, I really hope Amy's yeah, over thirty. Otherwise, I feel like I've just don't, insulted don't her. Don't listen, don't listen. It's it is that kind of like I feel like I should if there was. If there was a, a nice bone in my, I body, don't think I don't think Amy even listens to this. So no, it's fine. I know it'll be fine. But once I once I tell her how much we talk about her, exactly. <laughs> so one of the things uh, that I do have to say. Wait, were you going to go? Yeah. Where were you going to go? No, I was going to say uh, if you want to talk about two truly genuinely terrible launches from DC, I can do that. Mm, okay, let's 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 hear it. Because I get comps from DC, I got sent the first issue of Trinity of Sin. Mm. Uh, the we've cancelled uh, Pandora and Phantom Stranger. What if we put them both in the same book? How bad can that be? Uh, the answer, by the way, is really terrible. Right. Um, and also the first two issues of Earth 2 World's End, the new weekly book. Mm -hmm. Both of books, I swear to God, read like the creators were trying to create the distillation of everything everyone said was wrong with the new 52. <laughs> oh, oh, Earth 2 World's End, right. I swear to God, is almost unreadable by the mm -hmm. second issue. By the mm -hmm. second issue, Jeff. And the first issue is, first of all, it is double sized for two ninety nine, which is impressive. Like it's thirty nine pages long. The story that's great because that means that's like what a page for each creator. Well, oh, yeah. How, how many creators are on it? One, two, three, four. Five. Seriously, I I almost bought the first issue of that book. Fourteen, fourteen uh, creators oh are listed God. on the front cover. I know. That's why I almost bought it. I was like, Jesus Christ! There's more people here than are in a lot of Justice League of America lineup pages. Like, oh. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so the but here's the thing. So the first issue is double sized, and I shit you not, fully half of the book. Mm -hmm. It's a recap of what's happened in the Earth 2 series. Oh, Jesus. Like, a full half of the book. Oh, God. Oh. Um, which, you know, is done relatively well, and is also the most coherent part of the series to date. Okay, we'll see. Because after a... that, everything just goes to shit really? in an amazing way. Mm -hmm. It is staggering. By the end of the second issue, there has been maybe what would have been two pages of development of the plot in, like, a 1980s comic. Wow. Between the half of issue one and the end of issue two, this has happened. A bad guy has arrived, and she has possessed the female superheroes. That's it. 
in an issue and a half of plot. Wow. Does she make them want to form like uh, an all women's lib team called the Liberators? Or Sadly not. And also there is no Claremonti in... I am evil, but it feels so good in my mental bondage. I have been freed, like right. thing. Yeah. Sadly, that doesn't happen either. Now I uh, have to instead, do dirty instead, things, dirty, yeah, exactly. dirty, dirty things. Instead, yeah. they just sneer and punch people. Yeah. It is, and also that development actually only happens over like the last four pages of issue two. Wow. Which means yes, they're playing for time that much. Mm. It is. Staggeringly yeah, bad. Yeah, I mean, groundbreakingly bad for people who are wondering how bad can it, can any superhero comic, but particularly a weekly superhero comic, be? Yeah, Earth's Two World End is terrible, mm-hmm. genuinely appalling, but still better than Trinity of Sin. <laughs> you know, the thing that kills me is, unless I'm wrong, so you're saying that Trinity of Sin is a book where they could have, in theory, actually had the Trinity in there, but didn't, right? They just no, had no, Adam no, Stranger no. and no, Pandora? No. Questions in there as well. Don't worry. Oh, okay. It is it is the Trinity. Okay. <laughs> I, I know you're worried. I was. Uh, I the was true like... tragedy of Trinity of Sin is, uh, Jim DeMatteis used to be a good writer. Mm-hmm. Something has happened to him. Maybe there was a traumatic head injury. I don't know. He's but very it, old, Graham. He is not a young man. He's very old. It, how old is GM Dematis? Um, are you Googling it or am I Googling it? I am, I am looking it up right now. Okay. GM Dematis. 1953. So that makes. He's 60. He's 60 years old. Uh, there's. December 1953. There have been older still working on comics, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sure there are. How old's Len Wein? He's still writing comics. Yeah. Oh, how old's Jerry Conway? He's writing a uh, Spider-Man book next year. Oh yeah, but that's different. He's he's sixty two, Jerry Conway sixty two. Yeah, 62. yeah. I actually yeah. thought he was, he was older. Wait uh, a minute, Jerry Conway. Right, he's only he's only a year older than J M Dematius. Yes. Wow. Well, Len Wein is sixty six, and he is still writing comics. Yeah, those those guys started in comics so ridiculously young. Uh, but yeah, Trinity of Sin is terrible. Is a really, 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 and and it's what's surprising is not just you know oh he's old whatever. It's just really shoddily put together. Right. That there is no real introduction to the characters. There's no real introduction to the threat. It all feels very like, I hope you're reading their books before because we're not going to tell you jack shit about these characters. So let me ask you, because I feel like this is a really great segue. Did you read slash what did you think of if you did read the first issue of Clarion the Witch Boy by Anosenti and uh, artist uh, Trevor, Trevor McCarthy. Trevor McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did, and mm-hmm. it's it's actually in my pile, just underneath Trinity of Sin. Ah, it's see. almost like you knew what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, I did read it, and I actually found myself really liking it. See, I couldn't go all the way to really liking it because the first. How do I put it? Like the first the, half the, of it. The first half is much better than the second oh half. Oh my god. The first half of it is like, I really was. I was like, this is going to be great. Because I was very much of this idea. Because it's Anshanti of, like, like 20 years ago. Yeah. For exactly. the first half. Mm-hmm. It, but it really is. It's mm-hmm. kind of amazing. It's like, oh, I guess Anshanti woke up. Yeah. Well, I feel, how do I put it? Anshanti 
is probably in a way a really good compare contrast with J.M. DeMatteis in some ways. Because I feel that like Anacenti has always been her own strange. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, right? So when we think about classic Anacenti, we're thinking about just weird books like her daredevil run that everyone talks about it's a really fucking weird book when you read it oh so strange so which is which is what's wonderful about it yeah exactly it's it's behind it what clarion reminds me of more than anything else was her kid eternity series for vertical uh like and it reminds me very strongly of that Mm -hmm. even down to the fact that the second half of the issue just formally falls apart yeah like the last page like the cliffhanger isn't even a cliffhanger it's like Half of a sentence. I know, isn't it? You know, it's like, oh, well, I guess we might as well get up, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) And you're like, that's what's supposed to bring me back? That is? It it actually kind of made me feel like Anacenti got, somehow managed to, like, get the contract to do a Clarion the Witch Boy graphic novel. She got this fantastic artist who works very slowly. They spent, like eight months putting together the first 10 to 12 pages and the editor liked it so much. They fast tracked a new book <laughs> yeah, based they're, they're on like, it. Okay. It's a, it's a monthly. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, what? So they had to, so it's based cause, cause the artist who spends the first half doing like these really gorgeous, clearly like I love JH Williams, yes. you know, style layouts into beautiful effect. Uh, suddenly, gets really harried and really sketchy super super fast well i i'd actually i'd argue with you about that one mm. uh i i agree that it's it's well also trevor mccarthy is the guy who followed uh williams on batwoman ah well there you have First it of all, so, yeah. so like there, there's there's a former as they say in cop shows um but if you look at his layouts his layouts become uh less interesting and mm-hmm. more blocky and more like oh look here is a panel it is square here is a panel it is square yes um at a very specific part of the story mm-hmm. which then when you flip away to a different part of the story that changes again yeah. and then again later on in the book when there's the showdown with the guy who all of a sudden has like the cosmic quip mm-hmm. the layouts change and get more interesting again so I think he was actually trying to do something. It's just that it happens at the same time as the writing is like, and I guess I should introduce a threat. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And it's just bad timing. That, that it suddenly it suddenly feels like the book just gets dull. You're like, oh, we, had, we had 12 great pages. What's happened? <laughs> well, okay. On the one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, how do I put it? It feels like... You disagree. Like... I think that's how you put it. Well, no, because what I think is is that, although I could be wrong, I feel like when the layouts get try to get more innovative again in the second half of the book or with that with that next scene with the cosmic whip, it's... It's. It doesn't seem to nearly have the amount of thought and chutzpah that the first couple of scenes did. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, like I, to I, me, it's like I, generic. I, I kind of agree. I kind of agree to... and kind of disagree. Mm-hmm. The book is most interesting in the first like five pages, and that's before he comes to Earth. Right. And then as soon as he comes to Earth, it actually gets a lot more generic in terms sure. of layout. E- yeah. Even when. Even when he's doing uh, McCarthy's doing more interesting things with the panel borders, mm-hmm. it's still essentially like panel to panel to panel. Whereas before that, before he gets to Earth, you really do have interesting things. You have the corkscrew panels. You have yes. you know 
you have a lot of things that are interesting. So I, I'm not sure it's ne- if it's necessarily like he's trying to show off and he's not getting there anymore as much as I think he's trying to be... I think the more interesting panel layout comes, the more magical the story gets. Exactly, exactly. And so when he's trying to pull it back because it's... For example, the, the scene with the, the, the cosmic whip mm-hmm. is... A blend. If, exactly, but mm-hmm. very much... It is, it is quote unquote reality with one unusual element. Yeah. Do you yeah. see what I mean? So I, yes. I think he's, I think he's trying to control it because then when you, on the last page, the last page, which, you know, features the dramatic lack of tension you yes. want in your final page of a comic. Yeah. Um, th- I think he is doing interesting things with the curve of the panels because mm-hmm. you're dealing with the more magical characters. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think he's, I, I think there's intent behind it. It's just I think the timing is bad. Uh, well, I hope that that's right because I picked up the book and 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 was delighted by the first half and and it's so much better than the it, quality it, in the second half. Yeah, so much but better. It's so than much I better than it, it should been. be, right? Yeah, completely, completely. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I would not have picked it up if DC hadn't sent it to me. I wouldn't have picked it up. And when I read it, like because I read it at the same time as Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first thought was honestly, I think that's the one I'm more impressed with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I just did not expect anything from it. And I really came away from it being like, that's, you know, 75% of a good book right there. I would drop, see, this is my problem. I would drop that to maybe 58%. And then unfortunately the remaining 32% is kind of stinky. You know what I mean? So that, but that, that could be me. There's another thing I wanted to talk about, Graham McMillan, before we... Percentages? Yes. They're exciting. I finally learned out how they work. Apparently, they add up to 100. <laughs> you know if I had paid like, less Jeff, attention to sports, I wouldn't have been Jeff, so confused. Do, yes. do you know what's really funny, though? Uh, you said they finally add up to 100. I finally learned. And before that, you said 58% and 32%. I said 68% and 32%, you bastard. <laughs> I think we'll let the listener decide. Rewind now. Ah, well, let me tell you. When the sound <laughs> exactly. accidentally by drops the, out. <sighs> by the time I edit this, I will definitely say 68% ah, of the Man, did I really? I bet I did do that. I, You're right. I think you did, but I, I could be wrong. You know, my math has really gotten shittier in the last five years. It was kind of... Five years, Jeff? Oh, are you saying I can't count right? Was I, was yes. I really supposed to be? Yes. You can go to hell, Graham McMillan. <laughs> You can go to hell. Uh, we've got a lot of books to talk about, uh, a lot of Avengery-type books. But I did want to say one of the things that I found amazing were the number of books where I I kind of feel like um, there were a lot of books in the last couple of weeks that I read that honestly felt kind of overwhelming in a way that was good. Sort of the same way that, that Batgirl is trying so hard and Clarion is really trying so hard. I really kind of picked up a couple of books where I was like, oh shit, like this 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 Batman issue, I don't necessarily agree with what the fuck it's trying to do and it took me like three times of picking it up to get into it. But there oh, was the kind of, a, yeah, the first issue of the first part of the Endgame thing. But I was kind of like you know, the uh, I kind of feel like, and I could be wrong, but sort of the same way that there was kind of this sort of the widescreen sort of uh, aesthetic was kind of emerged, emerged at a point in time, like right at the end of the 90s, the beginning of the aughties or whatever. I, I really sort of felt like there were enough books here where I thought like, wow, people really are trying for a kind of 
maximalism. You know what I mean? Like just a, a serious, heavy commitment to too much. And yeah, it's ne- a spectacle, I feel. Yeah, exactly. Very much in the sense of spectacle, of like just shit tons of panels or shit tons of things happening and or shit ton just like panel layout just just kind of just bombarding you and never was that more true to me in the last two weeks than picking up transformers versus gi joe issue three which which was was mind-blowing in the i was gonna say literal sense my mind is not literally blowing everyone, yes. but was was genuinely overwhelming to read. Yeah, it really was. I I was I had a I had an email uh, communicate with Matt Turrell uh, that is, I swear to God, one hundred percent true. He was like, "Oh my God, have you read this book?" Like he wrote that like last week, and I picked up all my comics from last week as which it came out in, had read a bunch, picked up, picked up the third issue of Transformers versus GI Joe. Opened it to a random page and literally went, I, I can't handle this right now. This yeah, is too. I, I, I read it last night. I was I had a moment halfway through where I was like, I'm not sure I can actually read this. Yes, I actually picked it up at random and I went, I, I, I can't hack this. I literally, I literally am overwhelmed in a way that I, it's been a long time since I've had that that feeling. And then yeah, going back and rereading it. And just feeling bombard like I don't know if there's anyone else besides me that loved the first issue of Seven Soldiers, um, but holy shit! Like if you really thought that the wrap up of Seven Soldiers <laughs> of Victory, say, you don't think there's anyone else who loved the first ep- the first issue of Seven Soldiers? I think lots of people loved the first the issue of Seven Soldiers. See, I thought that the conclusion of Seven Soldiers of Victory, aka the first issue. I thought a lot of people were just like not as in love with. Uh, as oh, I, I, I honestly, I honestly could have sworn that it was a uh, a very popular book. Again, people let us know. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely okay. liked it. Well, it, I, and I, I, I did. I kind of, I kind of adored it, and and I had that same feeling in a way of sort of the same way that Seven Soldiers uh, will not let you. It won't let you win, you know. Transformers versus GI Joe is is sort of the same way in that it is going to, it's going to overwhelm you, and it all but guarantees that you are going that you're going to get lost. You know what I mean? Like you, if you're not, there's no way I feel like it's going to let you read that book without being overwhelmed by it. At oh yeah, it's 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 it was amazing yeah. to read. Yeah, I, and just it's so fucking dense. Yes, and. And what I love is the way that as it goes on, I feel that you're uh, seeing uh, Seoli move away from uh, formatting in a way that is familiar to the Transformers and G.I. Joe comics Mm -hmm. and more towards something independent while taking the concepts from those comics. Yeah. And just taking them a little bit further than you expect. Mm-hmm. I, I feel he's definitely being true to the spirit of Larry Hama and uh, probably Simon Furman of, of the Transformer on the Transformer side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what? but he's able to take them all further than the, those series ever went or were ever able to go. Yes. Yeah. Uh, while his his um, execution mm-hmm. 
I feel just moves further and further away from anything those comics were interested in doing. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a real fascinating feeling. Like I really feel like on the one hand, Scioli figured out a way to, and this is, this is really going to be a compare, confusing analogy, I think. So I apologize in advance, but he figured out a way to do to his work what Kirby did to Kirby's work in the mid seventies. You know what I mean? Like he, he figured out this weird way to take his, and it's, I feel like it's confusing because Scioli was working, was working with such a Kirbyized vibe anyway, but sort of the same way that Scioli's work occasionally felt, um, like kind of like awkward, I suppose, or sort of weirdly flatly representational. Like there was always, there was always this stuff in his work that it's like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm attracted to the bright plastic extremism of seventies Kirby art, particularly the Marvel Kirby's work. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And his own work had that thing of like, I'm approaching that, but I've got a weird sort of my flatness is different, you know, in a different way. And, and I felt like in a weird, in a weird, in this issue in particular, he turns around and really um, plays up the almost cartoony shorthand of his work. And and deliberate and and instead of fighting it, like embraces it and pushes it forward into like re some really really weird areas, you know. Yeah, and yeah, he's he's visually also simultaneously embracing Kirby and rejecting Kirby. Yeah, when you this, get to the, when mm -hmm. you get to the last page, mm -hmm. the the Doctor Venom in that page is really not Kirby at all. No. And it's very reminiscent of someone who I can't quite put my finger on, but it's very much not Kirby. Like, there's almost a Miller to it. There's a what? A Frank Miller to it. Like, oh, a, a sort that's of... really funny because I, I, I was gonna, I maybe it's because of all the stuff that we were going to be talking about coming up. But part of me is like, it actually seems kind of Al Milgrammy almost. Oh, to oh me. Al Milgram, yes. Yeah. And we should, we should, we should get that soon because yeah, Al Milgram, everyone's yes. favorite. Yeah, we'll see. And there's that. It, there is something where I feel oh, like and one of us is not joking when we say that. No, 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 no. I, I, it's true. I, there is something where I feel like Scioli is taking the. Um, it's his take on kind of that '80s Marvel style storytelling that that has such a shaky grasp gr grasp on scale and really, really. Um, pumps it forward into something deliberate. And meanwhile... I mean, what's really interesting is I actually felt a sense of scale here in a way that I did not in Transformers comics I read in a kid. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like he 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 pushes it so far that you actually... Um, yeah, it totally works. But he's, I mean, the, just the way he's laying out some of these pages, you basically have to go all in with him. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. Yeah, and so the, there's something about the all-in aesthetic to it. It's funny that you mentioned Kirby because um, be, 
because there's a, like you said, that weird refutation of Kirby. There's a lot in here that's very Steranko too. I feel like he's really taking Steranko stuff and trying to figure out ways to take the, the way that Steranko's de design elements tried, tried to meld the Kirby influence to a heavy design element. I feel like, uh, I feel like uh, Scioli is definitely trying to push sort of the way in which Steranko's sort of, and this is, this is going to make me sound like a total douchebag, but I can't think of a better way to, to phrase it. Steranko's naive postmodernism hooks up to a more sort of complicated form of post-structural postmodernism. You know what I mean? That sounds really douchey. Oh, wait, so you're, you're saying that Scioli is more, uh, more studied because I would say that Scioli definitely comes across as more, more, uh, naive and more outsider. Yeah. I feel he's pushing this, this issue that basically that Scioli realized that his outsiderness, his, his naiveness that always ran through his work is the part that he has to push to the forefront the same way that Kirby took Kirby's elements and maybe more outsider elements and push them to the front in the seventies. I feel Scioli's working that there's parts and pages of this stuff where, where the pages look like they've been artificially smudged, you know? And, yeah, yeah. and, and it's, uh, it's just, and, and that the colors, the color palette is becoming more and more deliberately primal you know, and uh, oh my god, it was just stunning. The book knocked me on my fucking ass when I read it. I have to say, it it is just mind bending. It, it's it's like nothing else out there. It really is. It really is because it it is simultaneously a like no, I'm in the work, and a no, I'm totally outside the work. Um, commitment that I just don't think that I've. It's been a while since I've seen anyone make that kind of tight walk in such a heated way, I guess. You know what I mean? Like I, I Yeah, I, I, I totally do. It's it's yeah. People who are not reading this book uh for any reason like, uh, oh, it's a toy book. Right. You you should pick up an issue. It's a really fucking strange book. Yeah, it is unbelievably odd. It's amazing that IDW is is publishing it. In some ways, it's, it's a, sort of... no. It's amazing that Hasbro yeah. is suggesting it. Never mind IDW. Yeah, it's amazing that Hasbro is letting them publish this book. That's true. It's true. I mean, it really. You're right because it's one thing for the publisher. I was going to say it was almost. It would be like if. Um, if DC had let Michelle Fief like publish Copra as like a Suicide Squad miniseries, yeah, and and made a point of being like, no, it's actually the Suicide Squad, you guys. Yeah. It's very much like that. Yeah, yeah. So it 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 is a it is a brain breaker in that way, and really really exciting. I'll, I'll be really fascinated to see where it goes. Um, you know, Graham McMillan. Even though I'm sorry that, that, in a way, that we spent so much time talking about like the iPhone six and stuff, because it means I won't be able to talk to you about like Annihilator issue two or the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina number one or Sex Criminals number eight. Um, in that I have not read two of those comics, then then that's good. We can save them until I have. Okay, the interesting. Uh, yeah, so Sabrina's the only one I've read. Oh, really? Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Okay, okay. Did Which you... I, I I super enjoyed. Oh, yeah, really, uh, me too, tremendously. Again, a little bit in terms of, uh, wait, the 
the art went a little I didn't I literally didn't couldn't tell what the fuck I was supposed to be looking at on the last page um of the Sabrina story at uh, the first Sabrina story I should say I mean the, the the current Sabrina story since the first Sabrina story is the second Sabrina story in the book if you know what I'm saying um but yeah now, now you're just getting overly complicated <laughs> Is the first the second, Jeff? Yeah, the first is the second, Graham. This the the current is the first. The first is the second. Uh, I I really did. Uh, that was that was a hell of a thing. So, um, but I think we really do need to. Well, maybe not. Maybe we'll be done talking about uh twenty five well, issues of Avengers. Let's and talk like, about the twenty five issues of the Avengers and see yes. see where we end up. Because we really only have just over half an hour to do so. Anyway. I know we may we may go a little long, but we cannot. I cannot go that long, or else I will just fall. No, let, let's let's try and do it. Let's try and do it in two hours. Come on, Jeff. Let's we let's make it up. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, where do you st- where do you fall on these issues? I have to say that. Um... So for the those playing along at home, we are talking two two seven through two fifty. Yes. Uh, you know, because we we I read we read through to two twenty six, which was a Stephen Grant story about the Black Knight. Um, it was a fill in, unsurprisingly, for that year oh of Avengers. Yes, so but that ends, that finishes with this one. Yes, and we enter a stunning new era of stability. Yes, well, and that's the thing that I think is really interesting is issue two twenty seven immediately in the same way that the first issue of Engelhart immediately you feel something snap into place and a certain degree of um well stability and enjoyability kicks in yeah for, for me it's it's a level of uh, professionalism but also charm the book becomes fun again as soon as Roger Stern arrives so this is the thing that i thought was really interesting is we spent a lot of time sort of bitching about 175 through 200, which a lot of people really fondly remember. Um, and I feel kind of guilty because issue... Really? Well, because issues 227 through 250 are arguably, to me, the low-stakes Avengers issues. And yet they are so charming and enjoyably readable that I don't care. Like I really I, I, like them. All. I'm not. I'm not sure. I agree with you in terms of the low stakes Avengers issues because what these issues have that 175 through 200 didn't mm-hmm. uh, is a sense of stability, but also a sense of continuity and a sense of larger things happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. 175 through 200 for me consistently felt like. There was a story, the story was done. There was a story, the story was done. There was a story, the story was done. And that th- literally, even though uh, Michelini was essentially responsible for the majority of them, they were all so generic and mm-hmm. all so alone mm-hmm. that there was no greater continuity. The continuity was literally reduced to it's the same characters who show up in each issue. Yes. Whereas Stern almost immediately. Oh, yeah. It's like, I have plans. And, mm-hmm. you know, the plans aren't even going to come to fruition in, until after 250. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So, right. So I agree with you. And yet one of the things that I think is interesting uh, for me is is that – how do I put it? I, re- I really enjoyed this this batch of issues tremendously. 
And I really want to emphasize that again and again and again because I'm going <laughs> because to be your saying boat, your boat is completely I'm going to say it. so many bitchy things about it. Like first off, I have to say like one of the thing among the many many things that I think are fantastic about this run of issues is the very creepy weirdo female over t- treatment toward women that subliminally runs through so much of Avengers, you know, post 150 on, or even all the way back to the handling of the loss, depending on how you want to treat it, is gone. I feel that the the new Captain Marvel is absolutely, although by Marvel terms, almost kind of bland, is so refreshingly, feels so refreshingly like, well-adjusted, interesting, and almost silver-agey heroic. Exactly. Um, She's just a good person who wants to be a good person. Yes. Which, for Marvel, is actually really unusual. Exactly. Exactly. I I mean... Like, her family isn't fucked up. No. Uh, Yeah, she's she's just a good person who wants to be a good person, which is really... Again, charming is very charming. Yeah. Uh, Especially in Avengers, which, in the platonic ideal... Mm-hmm. Is the most superhero-y of superhero teams. Yes. So having someone who's just there because they want to be a superhero and mm-hmm. they want to be a really good superhero. Yes. It yes. Yeah, fits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It does. And, and it's something that you've not really, you've not really had any point in the book's history up until that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, because you have. This is this is where I can really. There's a lot of elements in this run of Avengers, having missed it, that I see how it really stern takes elements that arguably have been in the Avengers almost from the very beginning, but amplifies them in a way that is less um, terrible. Basically you, one could say that Hawkeye was an early embodiment of the guy who wants to be a hero and is there because he wants to do good things and works harder and, and is basically a guy who's trained by other superheroes, like the kind of a beginning of a legacy concept. Mm-hmm. But you sort of like that concept is so stunted and um, buried underneath all the like territorial pissing contest yeah exactly yeah hey mister you listen to me exactly you know like all the stuff that's going on with that totally gets but but captain marvel takes that concept she's very deliberately she's the trainee she's trained by captain america the stuff that she does at one point some, some of the things that tigra says from stuff that captain america says to her like are passed on to her and it becomes much more that idea of the Avengers, this amazing, amazing legacy that I remember scratching my head over a little bit when it got sort of pushed to the forefront of say Kurt Busiek's run, you know, later mm-hmm. yeah. where I was yeah. like, I don't really see where this came from, but okay. And here I really do get <laughs> if it. If that's what you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Fine. Okay. That's if you well, want to put that in there. Something that comes out of that, I think, is this is possibly for the first time in the series history, a point where every member of the Avengers is actually respectful of every other member. Absolutely. (laughs) Even if they disagree with them, they nonetheless treat them as an adult. Whereas even in Engelhardt's run, 
you will get characters who would be the, well, you listen to me, mister. Right. Well, and this is one of the things that I found interesting was toward the end of this is this stage of Marvel in the 80s, I'm going to generalize rampantly, but certainly because I very much feel from uh, this chunk of issues really represents kind of the dream of Jim Shooter's Marvel more or less at its apex. Like, books well, are yeah, tying cause... in together, mm-hmm. big events And are books are over. really tying into each other. Yes. I mean, this, this, this batch of issues has a lot of stuff from other books. Yeah, it and, and that, three and other even, tie-ins. Even mm-hmm. more uh, in the next batch we're going to get to, because we get to the Secret Wars 2 era. Right, right. Um, but no, you, you get, I mean, even Captain Marvel comes from Spider-Man. Right, right. Comes you've from got Spider-Man. a th- You've got a Thor crossover. Mm-hmm. You've got a Fantastic Four crossover. You've actually got a couple of Fantastic Four crossovers. Yes. Uh, you have Spider-Man guest starring for two issues. Yes. Don't forget that there's the Spider-Woman crossover to tie up the Spider-Woman issue. Well, yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. I think there's something we both said that we really appreciate what Stern is doing in these issues. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really appreciated rereading, because I've read this run before, mm-hmm. is how much Stern is cleaning up other people's messes mm-hmm. and not making it look effortless, but making oh, it seem organic. Pretty close. Pretty close. I have to say, compared to the number of times the Avengers have been pulled in. In fact, one of the things I thought was fascinating about the wrap up of the Spider-Woman run is that it is practically a redo of Avengers 200. Yes. But in in a way that has is is clean and smooth, technically kind of dull, which I feel is a charge that can be leveled against some of this run, but but is so um, is such a relief, especially compared dramatically to issue two hundred. Like it really takes so many of these things of like, oh, here's a character we didn't quite really tie this off, so we're going to bring this back and we're going to smooth it out. And we've even got the male, the weird male lover from outside time, and yet we're going to, um, we're going to, I'm going to take all that and I'm going to do it in a way that you're going to really feel like I respect the characters. Yeah, exactly, because it is very much uh, respectful of uh, or not I should say not dismissive of the character and not dismissive of women in general no it really isn't I mean I you, you actually idea. have you actually have Tigra pretty much giving a speech along the lines of mm-hmm. you guys have to get your shit together this is someone who's in trouble and you're superheroes and you have to deal with it Yes. You can't just wash your hands of this. Right. Well, and to be fair, there was kind of – they uh, instead of it being something that they have to address like in an annual after the fact, Stern is clever enough to have him go, oh, right, yes, what is going on? What kind of weird spell is blurring us? And then you cut to the guy you know, being like, oh, I kind of fucked up with that spell. <laughs> like there's a lot of – Stern is so on his game in terms of like – it was such a relief to read a team of Avengers that is six members, three of them are women, and the women are not they're, – they're different characters from one another, 
and yet none of them have that weird like oh man she's great because aren't we scared of women you know kind of thing yeah it's but also all the women get on mm-hmm. there is there is also not the traditional especially marvel comics trope of the women are in competition for whatever reason which is even worse when it's the women are in competition for a reason they can't understand yeah 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 no the the you know instead you have female characters who are friends yes the female characters are friends they are not specifically trying to prove anything they're not trying to prove anything they're actually just all trying to do like the closest you get to that is maybe a little bit of the wasp leading the team at a few points where she's kind of like oh gee it's hard or gosh i wish i was better at like saying things to inspire people the way that cap does and yet it reads because there's so little of that, it reads so – it's so refreshing. It pops in the right way. It, well, it, and also, it, it reads as a character moment for the Wasp and exactly. not as a – It's not well, a she, – She's just a woman. She's not a man like Captain America. Exactly. Clearly, she's in over her head. Yeah, it's absolutely doing exactly what it's supposed to. Really, absolutely a huge um, – it, It's such a, a – turn around from like the last 50 issues isn't it there really is this moment of like oh thank god someone's come in to make it better again someone's come in to make it better and what's fascinating is is there's a number of stories that are exactly like the stories that sucked tremendously in the previous 50 issues and so they're like this is pretty well done yeah and he explicitly goes out of his way to fix the hank pym story like, oh, his yeah. first issues are explicitly going out of his way to fix that story. And you know The what? point where you even have the, maybe you were mind-controlled, Hank. Mm-hmm. No, I really wasn't. Yes. I'm just a dick, and I've got to take responsibility for that. Isn't this the thing that I think is fascinating? For me, what's fascinating is, uh, <clears throat> having read that issue, I'm like, oh, you would think Case would be closed. I've read at least three. This oh, is the th- although it I comes just, first. Yeah. This is the third redemption that I've read of Hank Pym, where I'm like, oh, I, well, this Pym, should do the trick. You know, this is the problem. Hank Pym is continually redeemed, mm-hmm. and then another writer will come along and not have any idea what to do with Hank Pym, and so think I'll write a redemption arc. Yeah, it well, happens all the time. Yeah, I Hank, Hank Pym has been the most redeems quote-unquote character uh, in Marvel. But and the thing that's... It, it, it doesn't stick. I can't believe that it really doesn't stick because someone comes in and, and overturns it again, though. No, I, they, but they, they all they always do. And it's not that they overturn it in the sense of like, he, it, you know, he's wrong. It overturns it because they never acknowledge that it happened. I'm not interesting. I, 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 this is, this is a whole era that, and, and a subject that I, I think that you've got way more expertise on in me, on, than me on this. So I, I just, I'll have to cede the ground, but it doesn't quite feel like that. I actually feel like it's one of those things where fandom, despite everyone's intentions, it never, I just feel like it doesn't stick for the fans. And then what happens well, that, is people that, feel that like might, they've got to step back for, into it. Which which might be what is happening. But all I know is, as a reader, it, Hank Pym is continually brought back to this yes. place where he has to apologize for his actions, even though that has already happened. Right. 
Exactly. And 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 they do things and go out of their way to make the character feel like he's more organic and more happy in his skin and more like he's paid his dues and his paying his dues and he's I, actively often, paying his dues. And, and you, more often not, it's the same thing, which yeah. is, I was a really bad superhero. It doesn't make me comfortable. I should just do something else instead. Right. That that particular thing mm-hmm. is consistent in Hank Pym's Redemptions. It's weird, isn't it? I get, maybe that's just one of those weird. Maybe that's why it doesn't stick. I don't know. I don't know. Very because everyone, everyone wants to bring him back and be a superhero again. Well, maybe it's that. Maybe it's the idea of like you got to bring him in to be a superhero, or it's the idea that it's like you're kind of doing a weird uh, skirting around the rules of like, oh yeah, I'm you know. Hank Pym, he's not a superhero, but that's why we're going to put him in the middle of action with shrinking guns, you know, or whatever. And it's sort of, there's that weird, like, like you said, they they keep bringing him in as a superhero or keep having him try and do heroic stuff or have him be a heroic character without, and, and well, but I the, just the, feel the, like there's the, a the weird. Classic, the mm-hmm. classic one is what Englehart does. Pretty much immediately following these issues. Yes, right. Where when he brings them into West Coast Avengers. Right. And he comes in as like, I'm just a doctor now. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly, Engelhart's like, but he's actually clinically depressed and suicidal. <laughs> and then I don't, what, have you read these issues or not? I, it, it, it comes and goes. I haven't read all of okay. the issues. I just so, remember so, where Engelhart, all of a sudden he's Engelhart's like, arc mm-hmm. is, he brings Hank back. And then he's like, he's actually clinically depressed and he's going to try and kill himself. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't kill himself mm-hmm. uh, because someone stops him, which mm-hmm. he takes his divine inspiration to become a superhero again. But to get around it, his superhero name is Dr. Pym. Yes. Well, see, and so this is my thing. I guess this is what I mean by the sort of get a, the, the workaround. That is a workaround, like the the workaround, and it makes sense, of course, with Englehart that he's his whole thing is like, oh no, because of the idea that Hank, sort of his Englehart's ability to sort of take the text as text and figure out a way to go the yeah, next step. A- a- Englehart, Englehart's comic is is improvis- improvisation. Yes, yeah. and so yeah, totally exactly. what he does. Exactly the miracle of yes and. So he's very much like, oh okay, so if we take this as as a priori that. Hank Pym's problem is putting on other outfits as dressing up as someone that he's not. And this inherently um, aggravates his insecurity, making him be him. Like there is that thing I remember in West Coast Avengers where, like you said, he becomes a superhero who's called Dr. Pym and he's got the love of a good woman and he's got all this other stuff going on. And it's very much Englehart's like, ta-da, problem solved. And yet it, I do wonder if maybe part of the problem is, is that for us, there is a weird, um, there's a weird way in which I, again, is it just the idea that the act itself was so atrocious that we're kind of like, no, we can't let you off the hook for this, us, the readership, or is there just, um, you know, something that I find fascinating is it's not even the act itself as much as it's, it's a game of telephone Mm -hmm. because the act itself is he lashes out and he hits her and it's Mm -hmm. a one time thing. Mm -hmm. But that has then become Hank Pym is a wife beater. As in, he did it many times. It did not just happen once. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you not feel that's the case? Um, and I feel, I feel that that's I feel that that's the unforgivable thing. 
I because because let's not forget, Spider Man has also beaten his wife. Well, okay, this is one of those great things where, like, that fell in this weird realm where the where like there were probably less Spider Man dudes reading Spider Man at that point because that's <laughs> seriously that's that's during Clone Saga bullshit stuff where yeah yeah, people, yeah. A, a ton of people jumped off. I jumped off well before that, but I do have like when you said I'm like. I don't remember that. Whereas Hank Pym hitting his wife in, you know, that issue of Avengers is when the Avengers circulation numbers are like 241,000 issues, you know. I, 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 I think I honestly think it's not the act as much as everything that followed the act. I think if Shooter hadn't followed it up with the next issue uh, going, the Wasp has a black eye because and Hank did this. Right. See, and this then, is then it wouldn't have become Hank Pym as a wife beater. Do you know what I mean? In a no. way that like Spider Man's didn't. See, Spider Man became he lashed out because he was whatever he was. Was he like? Why did he lash out? All I know is that he hit Mary Jane. Sure, sure. I, I don't even know what happened in the story. Right. But, um, and I feel that I feel that there's two, I think that Shooter and to hear Shooter tell it, that was him leaning into the curve because he didn't intend in his writing. Yeah. For Hank to hit he's him. lying. Well, <laughs> maybe lying. lying. I mean, uh, okay. No, here's my thing, like, Greg. I, I feel that. Uh, okay, uh, there's two things. Because one, on the one hand, the Spider-Man thing is an important thing we have to come back to. Uh, absolutely. But one thing that I have to point out is is that with spousal abuse, there's no such thing as a one-time thing. You know yeah. what I mean? That's precisely the sort of act that, that yeah. you do it once. And every, the understanding of the act itself is like, that's never isolated. It's never okay. And therefore, you don't get a one-time pass. Now, the whole thing with I, Spider-Man I, is, what's that? That's why I'm, like, I feel, I've been very uncomfortable being like, he just hit her once. Right, exactly. But I guess, I guess what I, I know, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think in the scene as originally portrayed, mm-hmm. it was not... See, I don't want to say it was not spousal abuse, but I kind of want to say it was not spousal abuse. Well, see, if you go back and read the issue, I feel Shooter dots his I's and crosses his T's by making sure. Yes, he makes sure Hank Pym also verbally abuses her, emotionally abuses her. Oh, actually, you're you're entirely right. I'd completely forgotten about all that stuff. No, you're. I am. I. I whatever the legal term is for give up is mm-hmm. you're you're one hundred percent right. I'd completely forgotten about all that stuff. Yeah, and so I I think that actually people like with shooter being like, oh no, it totally blew out of proportion with the script. Like whatever he's trying to say, when you when you look at all that stuff, he very much put in all three angles there to make sure that it could not be misinterpreted the way that he is later now sort of backpedaling about. Yeah. For no, you're reasons. you're. One hundred percent right. So I, I I retire, Your Honor. Okay. So uh, and and there's it's interesting because there are other things that I think are so worth talking about in the rest of this run, and thank God we've still got a lot of other time. But it is fascinating to me the way that it's like you read the Roger Stern issue, and for me as sort of I don't know an older entitled white guy, I'm like, huh, that really should have closed the that should have closed the book on it. I feel pretty good about old. You know, abuse of Hank Pym now. Uh, it, you know, in part well, because... Well, part of that is because Jan is, like, I think Jan's 
uh, position in those issues is important as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think the fact that she forgives him, mm-hmm. although I was deeply uncomfortable with her basically being like, it was kind of my fault as well. Right, exactly. We are like, which, which, no. which one was like, really, was it? Because I'm, I'm not actually sure that's true. Like, no. I totally see where you're going with this, right. but I don't actually think that part is true. Right, right. Well, again, it's that thing of just the fact that you're saying that actually makes this play into the narrative, you know? And so I do wonder the way in which um, Hank Pym's like, no, I take full responsibility for myself, period. It's because I couldn't handle being a superhero, period. You circle that part. Like, is that part the part that actually negates the whole narrative working? You know, I mean, because it is that thing of like, uh, how do I put it? There is a way in which and I don't have the issues in front of me. But if we were somehow miraculously reading all of the Marvel issues from this time period uh, at the same time, I don't know to what extent Tony Stark being an alcoholic is a thing that Denny O'Neill decides was handled far too cavalierly. Uh, in the Michelini Leighton issues, and so moves into Tony Stark super lush, which gets touched on, of course, in these issues of Avengers. And I'm part of me is like, God damn, I sort of want to read those because, again, there's that thing of like, as we have heroes face big modern problems. Even when someone like Denny O'Neill, who had problems with alcohol, is trying to tackle them, there's a weird way in which it doesn't get tackled in a, in, in a way that we sort of innately feel these narratives resolve. Or maybe from reading things. Like, you don't see Hank Pym and Ang- Anger Management Encounter Group at any point. I don't know if Tony Stark goes to AA at any point in his... I'm a big lush narrative, um, you know, and then when Fraction actually has him in there, it seems like, yes, okay, that's what alcoholism and drug dependency actually looks like. And that's exactly. Like, yeah, that, that's that's actually him. Yeah. Being in that like you believe him as an alcoholic at that point, because it's something he's continually dealing with. Right. Uh, right. Whereas, you know, in the the and it, perhaps in, because Michelini takes the book back over after uh O'Neill leaves. Mm-hmm. You get Tony basically just gets over being an alcoholic, right? He's like, I'm done, right? Well, exactly. I, I'm I'm going to keep going to all the same uh, situations, but I'm just going to order soda water. Everything's fine. <laughs> exactly. All you really um, need is willpower, which is what I didn't have before, but now I do. The end. yes. Well, yeah. well, what is interesting about the Hank Pym thing? And I, I'm wondering if this is what you're getting at is Hank's Hank doesn't Hank can't handle it. Mm-hmm. And Stern's ending of the storyline is Hank coming to terms with not being able to handle it and being OK with that mm-hmm. and just saying, I'm not a superhero. I'm not actually a hero at all. I mean, he actually says that. Right. To Jan. Mm-hmm. Uh and also, I love that the, the uh, Stern also quasi retcons their relationship as Hank was kind of fucked up. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so he says, I felt the young lady who reminded me of my first wife, and you thought you'd found the strong, silent hero, but I was never that strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you have Hank reject mm-hmm. the superhero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, not only, I'm not going to be a superhero anymore, right? but r- almost reject that narrative entirely mm-hmm. and get written out of the book. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you can imagine him going off to be a scientist or going off to anger management classes or right. whatever. Right. And, and honestly, that's satisfying. Right. Yeah. If they had done to him what they did with the Gwen Stacy clone and it was just like, okay, he's out. You can't mention him again. You don't even, we're not, don't or, even. Yeah. At or you Bill can Foster mention levels. him, but that's it. Well, you mention him, but you don't show him on panel in that sort of way that Bill Foster keeps popping up. You know, it's like, you can't even quite get to that level. Because once you do, it begins, it, it begins retconning the narrative. It begins retconning the retcon in a way that sort of starts, it starts, it just sorts of, it, it ends up in its rut again. The next thing you know, you've got, you know, him in the middle with his guns and his, you know, micro shrinky thing being like, but I'm not a hero. Love me, you know, in a way that just doesn't feel it it ends up it ends up undoing. I guess I see what you're saying. It ends up undoing well, well, what it what's been also done. really interesting is Stern does bring Hank back in a, a few issues later. Yes. For the uh, Spider Woman thing. For the Spider Woman thing. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is after that, you then get Hank leaving again. Like mm-hmm. he's not like, Oh, I miss the old times, you guys. Right. He's like, Okay, I did what you asked and I'm now going to go back to my normal life. And like that sort of appearance is completely fine with me. Mm-hmm. It's later when other writers, Engelhart especially, because Engelhart's essentially the one who brings him in mm-hmm. to West Coast Avengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's when other writers are like, yeah, but you know, he can't hack it, but he kind of can hack it. Right. He's just going to hack it in a different way. He just wasn't trying hard enough before. Well, or again, that weirdly literal concept of, of Engelhart, the yes and of like, oh, well, if he has trouble putting a, if the trouble is the mask, then, then let's. Yeah, but, you know, but even then, like, Engelhart, like, that's a yes and to something that doesn't actually happen. Well, yeah. Because I mean, Stern, is, Stern is implicit. Like, I'm not a hero. Stern, Stern makes right. that very, very clear. Exactly. Whereas, and you're right, Engelhart sort of says, oh, okay, so if he's uncomfortable dressing up as a hero, and that's not what Stern's saying. And you're right. Yeah. I guess there's a way that if it had been a, but even still, I mean, that's my thing is, is maybe it's just my own, I know it's my own set of kind of biases, but you know, it is a little bit like dudes who, you know, the, the uh, white knuckle drunks, you know, the guys who are like the dry drunks who are like, oh yeah, I, I never touched a, you know, a drink again you know, I just was still incredibly messed up and had all my issues, you know, or the guys who were like, oh, I never struck anyone again. I just ended up getting fired from every job I ever had for anger management issues. You know, there's but here's like, weird. Even that would have been interesting to me. Oh, sure. It would have been interesting, you know I mean? but it would have, I, it, to me, it would have been like this. I would have had, it, I would have had, I would have been quote unquote fine with it in the sense of like okay this is closer to, to reality it's, it's, it's as i understand yeah. it yeah whereas yeah. i think part of the problem is is there is something a little bit unreal about the solution that i think ends up unraveling and we end up back in the position again or unfortunately it's just one of those things like sometimes when i'm reading batman comics 
it's just that thing of like the fucking Frank Miller issues are so goddamn cool that Jim Lee's got to go back to him, that Tony Daniels got to go back to him, and then you've got the person who's so excited by the way that 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 you know Jim Lee goes back to it that they have to go back to it, and so it's just there's just always going to be a scene where Batman has to punch out a cop. You know, you're just yeah, I, you I, have I, to I don't, have that. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily that because I don't think anyone thinks that Hank Pym was cool or that, that I, I think it's in a weird way. I think it's defining because it is the most uh, unique thing about Hank Pym. Right. Right. It becomes a defining trait. And so it becomes that thing of like, you've got to roll it back, you know, um, whereas, know. you know, I, th- I think we're both agreeing that Stern Stern actually closes it off. Fine. Yeah. It's just that his, his clothes is actually the close for the character. Right. It is the close for the character. Like, and Stern, yeah. Stern deals with it so well yeah. that he kind of makes Hank unusable in future. Well, he, yeah, exactly. He deals with it so well in the, in the, it's perfect for a comic book. You know, it's not perfect for a real character. And if you keep bringing back well, the real yeah. character and turning them into, you know what I mean? Once you keep putting the spotlight on them, it never quite works. But, but yeah, I feel like you're right. I would even be, you could put him in, you know, uh, cameo status forever, like as a severe cameo in a real genuine cameo kind of way. And it'd be like, okay, this will work. This will yeah. work. Um, but, that's, but that's not what happens. I have to say as a continuity nerd, I really love the way that Stern takes a few issues to bring back Kirby's elementals and ties them to Jim Starlin's Titans and Star Fox slash Arrows. I thought that was great. And it was really interesting to me that this is the year after seeing a reference in an Avengers annual where Arnim Zola pops up, where I'm like, is this the first time at this point in like 84 or whatever it is that Kirby's characters start to be referenced again, I guess. I mean, you know, apart from and not just Machine Man, oh hey, it's Machine Man, but Kirby's wilder stuff for the second set of Marvel comes back? Or no, do you do you know? Uh I what when did these was this eighty four when this came out? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I, I was looking at it. Yeah, at it's, it's eighty four. Yeah. yeah, it's eighty four. Um I that seems consistent because was the Machine Man miniseries not around eighty four, the, the Herb Trumpy Barry Wizard Smith one? Was it actually there? is an eighty four, uh, yeah. And I want to say that maybe eighty five there was the Eternals miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's probably around here that his seventies starts making a comeback, which kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's at the point where the people who did think that were cool mm-hmm. were of an age to embrace it, and of of an age to be working in the comics again. Right, right. So yeah, yeah it it it, it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. It was kind of fascinating. Anyway, I did love it in that sort of here's a classic, um, you know, kind of classic like, oh, this is, you know, this is Englehart territory. Here's two loose threads. We're going to tie them up. We're going to push it towards something else. And yet at the same time in this weird sort of like damning with faint praise that I have to do, like by contrast, the Maelstrom death urge, don't those guys seem like like failed Kirby villains, like don't to me those characters. Oh and- no, I don't, I don't get I don't get Kirby from them at all. In part because they're so fucking bad. 
there's but see that's it i was gonna say they feel like bad like kirby like um like if you were trying to create late 70s kirby villains and you failed and they were just embarrassing I feel like that is, I feel that really is Maelstrom and Death Urge and especially Maelstrom's three henchmen guys. Yeah, exactly. Like who, who are toys. Oh, I see. They don't seem like Return Toys to me. They honestly seem like uh, ripoffs of the Glob and the Brute from Sandman. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that probably makes a certain What are they called? Phobius and Gronk? Gronk, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And someone else. Where did they come from? Apparently they came from... They, can, they started off, if I'm following things correctly... Two can, and one? Can you hold on just one second, Graham? Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Hold on. Listener, who knows what's happened? Something is obviously happening at Jeff's door. Who can tell? Someone's talking to him now. He'll be coming back soon. Let's pretend we weren't talking. Let's leave this for him to find out in the edit. Knew you'd be talking shit. Uh, so what's going on? Uh, sorry about that. Uh, so so what's going on? You tell me. You're the you, one who just got No, open. you're the one bad-mouthing me. You tell me. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> wow, was how is that agri-management class going? <laughs> it's going great, goddammit. No, uh, sorry. I, that was supposed to be comically over the top, and it just came off as scary. <laughs> so, Graham's like, I quit goodbye yeah Click. i got i gotta go i gotta go change my gmail account. <laughs> uh sorry i was so frustrated because the doorbell rang i'm like oh Edie will get it and then i realized Edie left like two weeks ago and uh <laughs> dear listeners that is a joke i just hastened to add that in case anyone thinks it <laughs> We have particularly gallows. It's such a good joke, though. I'm like, oh my god, can you imagine how bad my life would be if that was the case? That's hilarious. Can you imagine if we didn't tell people that? People might actually think that we were just like, I know, I know, making light of this terrible situation, of a horrible situation. She just, everybody, she just stepped out 30, 40 minutes ago. She told me that she would while we were podcasting. to go for a walk, and she will be back. Anyway, doorbell rang, postal person. I'm like, oh, Edie will have to get it. And then I realized, oh, son of a bitch, there's no one else in the house but me. So I ran over to get the world's most ridiculous, like, the male guy was like, yeah, they said do not bend. I'm like, you couldn't put it under our... Uh. Anyway, so... Hey, um, but at least you didn't bend it. I know, right? We can all sleep well tonight, customer, uh, customers. Customers? <laughs> Wow, thanks, consumers. Yeah, thank you, consumers. You used to be listeners. Now you're just customers. So. (laughs) Oh, man, this is is a a bad episode, you can tell. Hey, it was great right up until uh, Jeff pulled a Hank Pym, you know. Now it got creepy. (laughs) Maelstrom with his chest hair. Oh, my God. But uh, but his henchmen. So they all seem to pop up in uh, Marvel 2 and 1, 71. And then went from there to some kind of annual, back to here to the Avengers, and then afterwards popped up in Quasar, which really makes me, all of which makes me think that Mark Grunewald. Mark Grunewald was yeah, definitely responsible at some exactly, point. Exactly, exactly. Uh, which is actually one of the other things that kind of, as much as I love Mark Grunewald, and what a great job they do to have, like, not only is this, you know, stern, but you have 
very consistently Al Milgram, for the most part, being inked by Joe Sinnott through the majority of these issues. Yeah. The majority. So you even when a... even when Carmen Infantino comes in as a fill-in, yes, you, you almost can't tell. Yeah, you, uh, almost, almost. In fact, there's one well, of the panels that are kind of really. Well, interesting here's the thing: there. it's Infantino who has a very fucking distinctive style, He's especially at this point in yeah. the '80s. Exactly. But I mean, it really is surprisingly well done. Well, it's it's fascinating to me that the, the is both a positive and a negative the the extent to which Joe Sinnott is uh, he on the one hand it's amazing to me what he can do with Al Milgram's work and it's amazing to me what he cannot do you know because I think of, <laughs> you you really don't like Milgram's work you really do not I I how do I put it I find his you hate work, it that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> I find how do I put it? I despise it. It it really the thing that I find fascinating is Milgram plus Sinnott equals again the idea of like Marvel the Marvel's house style in the eighties, which is at once a a little out of its depth, but perfectly kind of serviceable and generic. Oh, this is what I was going to say. Actually, at some point when I probably flipped out at some other stage is you mentioned that the Avengers all are behaving and interacting like adults in this. There was a point in which I realized that this is a stage in the eighties in which we finally get two full steps removed from Stan Lee and some of the Stan Lee isms disappear. Like there's a lot of stuff that kind of, doesn't like it's given a nod to but it's no longer has to be written so much in stanley and roy thomas's the house voice that you get something that is a little bit more it's it's these issues are less neurotic in a way that i feel like the previous 70s marvel stuff felt it absolutely positively had to be whether that's ridiculous amounts of alliteration, whether that's the sort of, if this be my destiny, in a way that it really kind of, for better and for worse, does not have to be. Similarly, in a way that, like, it's very easy to almost forget that Jack Kirby is the house influence on the Avengers, I mean, on Marvel Comics in the 80s. It almost feels as if the Basimas were the guys who were the house <laughs> Yeah, style, I, I think they know? definitely became that. Mm -hmm. Would you not say that? I think that was definitely true. Uh, you know, I feel that Romita, John Romita, who's a huge influence, and the Pasimas, all of which are trying to, um, are different from Kirby, but, but definitely are being forced into a Kirby dynamism. And there is that, like, Kirby and Sinnott, on the Fantastic Four is a template that everyone's trying to follow. Um, and, and yeah, at a certain stage, how do I put it? Like they become the house style, but it's weird that they then become the house style that people are emulating. Like people aren't, I really looking at this stuff. It's like, Oh, people aren't really trying to do Kirby by way of Basima. They're really trying to do the Basima. Yeah, yeah, and and that is, to me, a fascinating. So Milgram has every once in a while he has some really um, 
interesting ideas. He'll put some weird angles on things. He puts some really, there's like, there's that panel actually after Hank Pym's like, okay, see ya. And he gets off and flies off in his jet or whatever. And you cut to the last panel on the page is like sort of Jan crying behind a bunch of windows and the Avengers comforting her. And you've got a couple of captions and the Milgram does it so that the panel borders uh, are the borders of the window. So it's like a mosaic kind of, you know, of like mm-hmm. really yeah, tiny which panels. I, I really, really like that panel. Yeah, it's really it's it's nice. It's really very pretty. And there are he'll do. He's not afraid to um do uh, like, okay, Star Fox is flying overhead, so I'm going to do a nostril view up of people looking at him as he flies into the dimensional door or whatever. There's, you know, it's just that he um, he kind of always is, at best, a layout guy. And Sinnet, who is a good finisher, is a finisher. He's not a dude who's going to redraw everything. You'll get some stuff that is very Sinnet-y, but there are time there is a panel where Tigra and the Shroud are trying to give CPR to Jessica Drew slash Spider Woman, and it is the funniest fucking thing I have ever seen. It it is it, it because the lack of perspective of you know, everyone's jammed into that panel so awkwardly and then it's like fuck it i'll ink this hand and so you really get like a very uncomfortable or there's a great scene where the in the dire rates issues where suddenly cut to a guy with a mustache and a beard like hollering like what are they doing here and milgram fucks up the anatomy of the guy's face and then it's like meh what are you gonna do and so this guy looks like his (laughs) his head is simultaneously exploding and imploding on itself at the same time which is hilarious there's a Uh, lot what are you gonna do is the best way of putting this (laughs) exactly so i think it's fascinating it really is there is stuff that it runs the gamut from has potential to perfectly cromulent to, oh my God, how the fuck did that end up in print? Sometimes within the pages of the same issue. And there's a little bit of, yeah. My love for the uh, Milgram Senate pairing is strong and entirely based on the fact that that was the initial pairing on Englehart's West Coast Avengers. Well, see, that's it. I I was reading when I was like 10. Right. And Do you know what I, I'm saying? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. completely bypasses critical yes. faculties entirely. I'm just like, what's your problem? It's Milgram and Sinnet. It's chunky as hell, but it's wonderful. Well, see, and so this is the thing that's really funny for me is I never read this run of Avengers, but I did read a good, goodly chunk of Engelhart's run of West Coast Avengers when they're on the team. And so I have a weird sense of deja vu where I'm like, this stuff is entirely familiar and welcoming to me. And yet maybe because because of our age difference, I was at the stage where I'm like, yeah, but this is also sort of seriously kind of cranked out. Like, in in other words... Oh, I, I, I think you're totally right. Right. But I, <laughs> I totally get that. I not make any yeah. defense of this. Sure, sure. The quality of this work. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at the same time, when I was like... When I felt the same way when we hit those issues of Avengers with Sal Basima, I'm like, I can't diss it. It still looks pretty good to me. 
you know? Exactly. This is my childhood. I can't say anything bad about this. Yeah. I want to. I know that intellectually I should, but this is what I was reading when I was like 10 years old. I'm going to have to check when those West Coast Avengers issues were coming out because I, I think I'm... Uh, you I, are actually a little older because I believe I was... Yeah, I, mu- I must college. be about 12. Yeah, because I was, I was in college when those were coming out. Um, uh, I'm pretty no. sure. No. Well, it depends. How it launched? It launched in uh, October '85, or rather, first issue was dated October '85, which means I really would have been ten. Okay, but but those aren't. So, I, uh, let, how do I put it? But that team of um, Milgram, Sinnott, and Engelhart runs all the way up into the '30s, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But so but, that's like what? almost three years later. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, no, Sinnott was gone super early. Was he? Oh, okay. See, because yeah, I Sinnott thought he was replaced, actually there. Sinnott replaced was by Mike McLachlan or Mike Macklin or something. Uh huh. Um, and I remember being like, "This is this is not the same." <laughs> Who is what? Is, what like, though? it's kind of the same. I just, honestly, where I remember, I was like, "It's kind of the same," but everything looks shinier. Oh, interesting. That's funny. Um, so let's see. When did Mike Macklin come on? Yeah, I was board? about to say because I don't know if I was reading it that far in. Mm. I want to say it's midway through the 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 time travel story. See, and that's that's where I s- most remember Sinnott and and Milgram. So, like maybe Milgram, maybe Sinnott leaves halfway through that storyline or something. When the fuck is that storyline? I feel like that's so much later I, than I, maybe story, it was. Storyline's like issue... That storyline starts in issue 15. No, oh, okay. issue 17. Okay. All right. Uh, and it ends in issue 23. Okay. Wow. All right. So two years so in, around see. 87 is when it wraps up. Yep. And... No, Senate is still on. That's of issue 22. Okay. So there, there you go. So yeah, you might you might be totally remembering, and I might be totally wrong. I I it's tough because I think there is a number of issues at play. Man, I really have got to get my hands on some West Coast Avengers because I, I I was all but kind of like I, I did finish up these issues being like, a for once I'm not terrified of the next twenty five issues of Avengers, <laughs> which is great. Um, since, and, since it's last issue of West Coast Avengers is issue twenty three, by the way. And it B, I was like, boy, do I want to read West Coast, Coast Avengers? Like, did, well, this, there's there's really there's collections for it. Yeah, and and I the first four issues, the first four issue miniseries is Stern. Yes, what's weird? I actually very specifically want to, of course, read the Engelhart stuff because there is a little bit of the way in which Engelhart follows Stern and takes cues from Stern in the way that Engelhart is. Engelhart and Claremont are both great yes and people. I think that's such a good you know, good analogy, Graham. Um, so that that's, when he's... It makes up for my apology, uh, my spousal abuse apology earlier on, which I, <laughs> by the way, I'm still feeling terrible about. <laughs> this is apparently the episode where we all get to feel terrible. Hopefully not the listener a.k.a. the customer, and if you feel terrible about that, I kind of understand. But believe me, not as terrible as I feel. So, um, Graham, we got to wrap this up, man. We, we No, but here's the thing. We're yes. not done. Damn it. We're not done. We're not? No, because there's something really important we have to do, which in classic Wave of Fashion, oh, all the way to the end of the episode. Oh, my God. Okay. You may remember, listeners, that last episode... 
Jeff and I set a surprise contest. Such a surprise that Jeff didn't know I was going to do it, and neither did I before I did it. That contest was um, suggest song titles from Jeff's fictitious 1992 Mm -hmm. uh, R&B album. Uh, Sorry, Uh, no R&B classic. I'm sorry, sorry. R&B classic. Thank you. Can you feel the feeling that I'm feeling? Mm -hmm. Um, Up for Grabs were a couple of Valiant hardcovers, the Harley Quinn hardcover, the Trillium Collection, uh, and you had an issue of Sumptown and something else I can't remember. An issue of King Cat Comics, yeah. An issue uh, of King Cat Comics. Did you have something else? You, I thought you had three trades. I thought you? I did. No, I've, I've just mentioned four, Jeff. Oh. Trillium, Harley Quinn, and two Valiant Hardcore. Oh, okay, you did mention them. Right, and I've got two other issues in there, too. Yeah. yeah. Which, are, um, which makes me seem really cheap, so... But here's the thing. Yes. Eight people entered... Yes. And so I kind of feel like I've got to come up with two other things. Because well, it's, com- it's a complete dick move to be like, okay, only two of you don't get something. Yes. So here's my thing, Graham. Do you, I, do you want your copy of John Porcelino's The Hospital Suite back? No, you should give that away. I'm going to give away John Porcelino's The Hospital Suite and... Uh, Gilbert Hernandez's Bumperhead, then, if you're okay with that as well. Yes, go. Okay. Go so, God. Yeah, so Graham's got more uh, trades that he's giving away via me. <laughs> um, um, so what What I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you. Um, here's the thing. When I set the contest, my idea was people would just offer a suggestion, like a song title. Yeah. And some people did that. There were actually... A surprising amount of entries where they offered the album's track listing. Yes. As yeah, in yeah. the full track listing. That's right. uh, and so I am just going to read out in the order they arrived. Yes. Uh, what we got. Should we alternate? That... Sure. Because I sent you, you sent me that, that letter, which is wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I will start with Garburner, mm-hmm. whose suggestion was if you're not in the world that's coming, I don't want to be there. Parentheses. Lila's song, close parentheses, which, to a couple of Kirby fanatics, holy shit, that was perfect. Yes, yes, absolutely. I thought that that was great. Um, and, of course, Gar actually sent in a copy of the uh, KTEL compilation album that was released of my work that I didn't see any money on. Uh, so I'm, we're going to have to post that to Gar. That yeah, was we are. awesome. Uh, Matt Sabronis uh, sent in his... Uh, he had caught the song that actually, to be fair, was the B-side of the 45 for that. So I understand wasn't technically in the album. Of the 45, Jeff. Off the 45. How, how much have you just dated yourself? In 92, was they it 45? Was it C- mm-hmm. I think it was CD singles, Jeff. The CD singles were a mer- – oh, 92? Yeah, I guess you're right. Sorry, the cassette single. The, the – <laughs> The additional track on the cassette single, which, you know, they padded out with a couple of things, some Germans. There there was good remix. My live tracks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was good. Um, Matt Sabroni's Milk for Midnight, parentheses, and everyone knew how much I love parentheses, which I appreciated. Milk for Midnight, parentheses, for Oreos in bed. 
close parentheses, which I have to say was, um, uh, I like this title because it is simultaneously kind of uh, potentially filthy um, and perhaps racially <laughs> charged. So well done. Oh my well God. Done. My mind didn't go there at all. It's really? Okay. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Um, Chris, I'm Chris. I'm going to ruin your name. I'm really sorry. Chris, I think it's Mastrangelo. Yeah, let's try that. Mastrangelo. I uh, sent in a full album track listing. Yeah. Uh, and what I like about this album in particular is this is the jazzier side of Jeff Lester. Oh, yeah. Uh, track one, Can't Comb My Beard Without You, Babe. <laughs> track two, Cold Waffles at Midnight. Oh, yeah. Track three, it's raining, parentheses, in my heart, close parentheses, which I love, and I really want someone to write that song. Yeah, yeah. Track four, tonight's the night, unless it isn't, in which case, tomorrow night's maybe the night. I love that one so oh, much. Yes. Uh, track five, rapping intermission. Track six, your chicken and tomatoes. Mm-hmm. The two the two titles that we provided last week. That's right. uh, track seven, taxidermist of love, which mm-hmm. I'm sure is a Lou Reed song. Track eight, don't make me wrestle your heart. Track nine, snaky woman. <laughs> oh my god. Track ten, and this might be my favorite title of all of them, a sexy little lady called Sex. That that definitely was my my attempt to write a, a princess song that that failed. I actually laughed so hard at the next track, which is Green Sleeves. <laughs> Traditional. I love that. <laughs> Oh man! And and finally, track twelve. This jazzy solo sax is for you. Wait, sax solos for you? Oh, sorry, sax solo. You're totally right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But brilliant. Uh, Oh yes. This this jazzy solo sax for you. Yes, Christopher Beckett. The oh man, so many sexy songs. Uh, Track uh, goulash, little bits in the sauce. Uh, Babe, I'm your one man army corps, which I think was. I love it also. I love that two people did Omic references for Isn't us. Isn't that great? That is so good. Uh, give me that Kenny G. Uh, we are human like an animal, which I don't know if many people know, but that is my covering of a Kaja Gugu song. Uh, oh, I was going to say, it totally sounds, you know, weird Devo-esque new wave to me. Not Kaja Gugu. Although, now that I'm thinking of that, I totally want to see you with that hair. Oh, God. You well, in that it's case, like Longshot. Thinking... Remember Longshot's hair? Yeah, Longshot's hair was amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I I, love, there's something, we are human like an animal sounds so much to me like when the, the 80s, like sort of German pop stuff, like that would be on the flip side to 99 Luftballons. You know what I mean? Like you've always got the, you know, or, you know, the the German ripoff of Human League where it's like the synthesizers. And it's like, <laughs> we are human like an animal. Actually, that sounds more like Depot now that I think about it. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so great. Please, everyone, let's crowdfund Jeff recording this album. That one I could probably do. Although it's... Wait, you're, you're, yep. you've not even finished the track list. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Pinky Weinhart goes to Washington. The track eight, which is just called Smooth. Uh, I that do... has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven O's. Really? Oh, my God. Yeah. I hear you in my dreams open parentheses, and it scares me, close parentheses, push and pull. Mm-hmm. Which, no, 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 we have to point out, push and pull is a visual pun, because pull is P-O-O-L. Yes, I tried to pronounce which, it that way. Which, I love that. Yeah. 
I actually love the next title. You guys really know your, like, terrifyingly crappy uh, uh, pop songs. Because track 11, A Lonely Heart Gathers No Moss, is perfect. It's so great, right? Yeah, that really does belong in an album. Oh, and finally, Heart You Forever, with you being just the initial you, for everyone realizes how big a Prince fan I am, and it scares me. Basically, if you can imagine someone... Trying to write that like Prince and and failing because they actually spell out heart, um, I, and I mean that in the the best. I mean that as a compliment, Chris Beckett. That is the way that I would have done it, and it would be wrong. Okay, Graham. Okay, the next. I have to say, the next email came in with two different senders attached. Jeff, did you notice this? Yes. Yeah. 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 I, oh. I'm going to go for the. I'm going to go for the name that was on the email, not the name that Gmail told me was on the email. Oh, really? Uh. Yeah, which is Nathaniel Quietly, mm-hmm. uh, which has some stunning names. Yes. Stunning names. Um, track one, Erotic Vampire Love Heist. <laughs> kind of love. Track two, perhaps even better, You Wafflin' Baby. Yes. Track three, The Cleanse. Track four, Feelings. That's all, so good. All uppercase with an exclamation point. So I felt that was the thing. Track five, you're chicken and tomatoes. Track six, rapping intermission. Can I just say that I love the people who actually included that on the album knew that it came like midway. Those two tracks. I know. Somehow they always, I guess we just mentioned that. But okay, the next one, of course, there's so many good ones here that are just awesome. (laughs) You could do the next one because I'm going to fuck up the guy's name. Oh, okay. So the next one is. Track seven. Binging, parentheses, Delillo, close parentheses, parentheses, Featuring Lisa Left Eye Lopez, close parentheses, genius. It really is. Uh, you are my Malamar. Yeah, more print spelling. Perfect. Let me tell you, I was so excited when Malamars popped up in the store yesterday. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's Malamar uh, season. They're out, so it's great. Track nine. Mm-hmm. 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 Slash interesting. <laughs> track 10, booty. Track 11, The Cleanse, parentheses, remix, close parentheses, open parentheses, featuring Missy Elliott, close parentheses. And that, that may be your greatest hit. I think that's yeah. the one that really, like, happened in the clubs, right? It really did. It really did. That was, I was, I was on fire for at least a solid six weeks, especially in say, the European clubs. I've got to say, track 12 actually kind of confuses me a bit, because track 12 is Cinema Mortalis, Parentheses, instrumental, close parentheses. And what I want to know is, what happened to the vocal mix of Cinema Mortalis? Oh, no, 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 no. That was, that was very much in my, like, you know how, like, uh, David J, like, always would throw, like, he's got those, like, instrumental tunes, usually named after, like, an Alan Moore comic, you know? Because Alan Moore... I, I am to, officially like, going to say that I don't even... Oh, you, David J, Bauhaus David J? Yeah, yeah. David okay. J. Bowes, David J. I, for some reason, I was thinking like a jazz guy, like Kenny G. And I was right, like, Kenny. No, <laughs> yes, no. the notorious sax man, David J. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, David J., uh, you know, who we all know from Bauhaus, Love and Rockets, and Tones on Tail, who also released, uh, an, you know, the, he did, wasn't he, he was the one who covered the V for Vendetta Vicious Cabaret song and released that as a, as a single. So, um, and, I mean, and had a, What's that? Maybe. 
Yeah, but Puzzle? I think that was him. I, anyway, let, let's not go down this road. So, because, because although we do have to have an all Alan Moore audio uh, episode, just because, because Graham will refuse. Anyway, Cinema Mortalis, <laughs> it was supposed to be like that, but it kind of, it, it you know. Oh, there only was an instrumental mix, is what you're saying. It yes. was, the, the parentheses instrumental, close parentheses, it wasn't telling me that there was also a vocal mix. It was just telling me that it was an instrumental. Exactly. Derek okay. uh, slash Nathaniel slash Voodoo Ben had a brilliant explanation of the arc and fall of my career. Oh, my God. Yes. On there. Do, you, do you want to read that? Because I didn't actually include that in the email. Do you want me to look that up now? Let's throw it in on the show notes. It'll give people an excuse. Okay. Like, seriously, check into waitwhatpodcast.com to see the show notes because it is a brilliant brilliant thing dude we're going to be at this for like six hours here so no come on come on paul okay. spence, paul spence baby has her biscuits in the oven and her buns in my bed what a great which track. i swear to god paul you have to write a song yeah that just is for brilliant. that title yeah one. it really That's was so good mm-hmm. uh, but here's the thing it's not even the best title he gave us no there's so many there's so many good ones here she feels like a new man tonight that's brilliant how can i miss you if you won't leave me Delightful. That's a country western song that has to happen. Seriously, you can't have your Kate. You can't have your Kate and Edith too. That is that is genius. Genius. Yeah, that for people who don't get why that is genius. Yeah, my wife's name is Kate, and Jeff's wife is named Edie, which is not short for Edith. But I totally get why people would think so. So, but also, is... it, uh, come on. Anyway, what? next track. Maybe that's it. Maybe you can't have your cake and eat it too. But anyway, it's brilliant. <laughs> she got the ring and I got the finger, which I seem to recall is a country western song, just along the lines <laughs> of uh, the classic "She got the mine and I got the shaft." Um, I keep forgetting I forgot about you, which I believe was my attempt to write a song like Sting. The pint of no return. Please <laughs> bypass this heart. Those are both. Which is so great. Yeah, and. The Wait What Waffle Window Wonton Matuzi. Which is now officially the title of the theme song for this podcast. I think so. I was thinking that too. Oh my God, you're so right. We finally have that track named. We'll have to jump back and rename it. Uh, do you want to read Brendan O'Hare's pretty brilliant yes. entries? Yeah. Brendan, Brendan gave us all 12 tracks plus an additional track. <laughs> track one, Hot San Francisco Mornings. Mm-hmm. Track two, Am I living worth your love? <laughs> oh, that's that's so great, so terrible. Track, track three is my favorite track from this. So good. Skip this track. Parentheses. If you ain't making love. Parentheses. Right now. Parentheses. Parentheses. So good. Oh, <laughs> uh, track four. Pause like I know you. Oh my god, I love these. Tr- track oh. five. Are you glad I didn't say banana featuring Prince? <laughs> That's are you, of course. Later yes. are after you. Track six, rapping intermission, because mm-hmm. of course. Track seven, the world through rules of color asses. <laughs> oh, man. We're going to have to put all these. I'm putting all of these up in the Tumblr. I'm yeah. just going to tell you. Yeah. Uh, track eight, I'll be the one to be the one. Which really does, if that's not an R&B song from the 90s, Seriously. I feel someone should time travel and make that an R&B song from the 90s. Yeah. Track 9, takes all kinds. Mm-hmm. Track 10, one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Track 11, take it all one at a time. <laughs> it's such a great joke. It's so good. It's so Track good. Track 12, 
your chicken and tomatoes, and the hidden track, No Stinky Fish. Yes. Oh my god. So and Jeff, good. You, you can actually play us out. What do you mean? We've got one last... Oh, and I'm going to do that. I, all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah. oh, "Cram, we have one more entry." I can't. No, no, no. Yeah, okay. yeah. On you go. So, Stu West had the short, the sort of the EP version, but perfect. Open parentheses, just a close parentheses. Love struck honky. Next track, quiche for one. The which next so- track, which I think should actually be my Twitter name if it wasn't too goddamn long, ever approaching grandpa of love, which I love. Oh my god. That title, the ever approaching grandpa love. I just i I think I could read that. And I feel that, that should be, be like my Billy Bragg song. It kind of does sound like it. Yeah. A Billy Bragg song. Okay, yeah. and track track four, track four, Paul Kupperberg blues, which I adore. That title song. I I really had that moment of yes, exactly. I have suffered from the Paul Kupperberg blues several times. Um, additionally, we should mention the fact that, uh, David Wolken texted me today and said that, uh, he thought that Graham gave a, tr- a fantastic track title that should be an entry all its own, uh, your individual issues. <laughs> oh no, my individual issues. My individual issues. Even better. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you, David Wolken, uh, the most handsome man formerly of comics journalism yes. and now officially the most handsome man formerly of comics journalism. <laughs> well done, Graham. That was perfect. My goodness. Armando <laughs> Iannucci would be proud. Um, so, everyone, thank you. We're going to have to get uh, gifts in the mail to yeah, everyone. Yeah, we, we so will have to. We will actually also have to email all of you to get your addresses because yes. I don't think any of you actually sent your addresses in. Yes. Apart from, I think Stu is the only one who even told us where he lived by telling us that we wouldn't be giving him a prize. <laughs> Was was Stu the one who like who was the guy who like the the entry came out like all as one one line? No, no, that was Paul. Oh, was that Paul Spence's? Where it was Paul, like Paul Spence? Yeah, Paul. I don't know if you know this, but when your email came into us, everything was in one line. There was no punctuation or anything, and it read like the greatest sentence ever. Yeah, it was. It was fantastic. Like that was easily the most charmingly deranged email i think we've ever gotten and and it was such a relief it was like ah like this person's uh, clearly insane and yet so kind <laughs> but also it's such a great like oh, i'm sorry i love paul's entries um everyone, entries are, everyone's entries were actually really yes. great there's stuff there that that's that very much ass. for making making us laugh far more than we deserved <laughs> we were literally just like hey here's a dumb idea it turned out to be a great idea thanks to you guys so thank you very much expect emails uh, if you haven't already got them by the time this goes up uh, asking for your addresses and then expect mail with stuffs um basically everyone thank you so much you made us laugh very very hard we have to crowdsource our comedy more often because you guys are funnier than we are um, yeah it, it was kind of depressing wasn't it the moment really where you're was. like wait everyone who listens to us is far more entertaining than we are and we're the ones recording a tour uh, podcast i know i know things have gone horribly horribly awry uh thank you everyone this was fantastic we will be back in two weeks uh which puts us at what like the day before halloween slash my birthday so that's going to be is, is it really yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know halloween is your birthday but yeah it really is it's going to be the 30th wow yeah okay so by the time well, first of all, 
everyone who's listening to this, Jeff's birthday is October 31st, which is a Friday. And so if you're on Twitter, that's at LazyBastard, who you're going to wish happy birthday to. Thank you. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, while we're doing this, I guess I should also say I'm at Graham M on Twitter. And the show is at WaitBot Podcast on Twitter. Yay. We're also on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been... I've been playing around with Tumblr the last couple of days. Oh my god! And so, <sighs> I, as we speak, as we mm-hmm. record, which will be last week for you guys, I have been sharing some covers of Marvel UK comics I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, when this goes up, if this goes up on the following Mondays, it tends to you will be at the start of a week of Bob Haney quotes from oh the Brave god. and the Bold. So good. Graham is uh, on fire. Definitely check out waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. It is just brilliant. I, I, I'm not on fire. Bob Haney's on fire. <laughs> I, I said on Twitter today that anyone who doesn't believe that Bob Haney is one of the greatest writers in comics uh, just needs to check this out. But Bob Haney wrote some amazing introduction, introductory captions oh my God. to The Brave and the Bold. Like, weirdly – how would you describe it? Uh, uh, it's, it's quasi-lyrical, but mm-hmm. the, the lyrics of a madman. <laughs> it's like It really is like if William Shatner and Terry Southern – had like a melodramatic baby. Oh my god! I just I adore it. I really adore it. It it, it is the um yeah. It's just a it's just a great mix of. Hmm. Oh no! I unfortunately as I was telling Graham all too seriously. It is it is genuinely the stuff that I wish I could write like because I have sort of a I have such a it's it's a blind spot for purple prose. Like pur- a lot of purple prose is like I'm. I think is pretty goddamn good. Like I was literally flipping through the uh, latest issue of Miracle Man on the stands from Marvel, which is one of uh, it's wrapping up um, Alan Moore's run. It's the Miracle Woman issue where the final arc for people who remember Alan Moore is trying to write from inside the brain of Miracle Man who thinks like a god, which means that Alan Moore is, is trying to think like a god and is overwriting and it is it is purple but it is but to me there's stuff that's just genuinely brilliant bob haney is is has <laughs> lines Bobby is a god he is a god and therefore what you get is you get stuff that is that is i i'll actually read you a few because if this is going up in the monday then some will already have been posted so i'm not ruining anything okay um night in gotham city and the neon glows feverishly like the hopes of defeated men see i love that just... On the scales of justice, all are weighed equally. The poor and lowly, the high and mighty. <laughs> the soft night bathes the marble boulevards of a quiet South American city in distorting moonlight. The next moment, a shattering, a burst of automatic fire. And once more, the soft, distorting moonlight closes in. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like that. He's nuts. Yeah. It's this amazing stuff. So yeah, I'm running that all the way through next week. Yeah. Or this week as you listen. Uh, on waywatpods.tumblr.com. Yeah. So there's that. Um, we also write uh, written posts yes. for the website, which is waywatpodcast.com. That's right. Uh, I could not even vaguely tell you what I'm going to write about because I generally decide like maybe a minute before I write it. Right. Um, but definitely last week or this week as we're recording, uh, I wrote about Secret Wars and it doesn't stand up to the test of time. Oh man, that was a, that was a great read. And I have to say, well, cause of course, one of the issues in here, again, because the Avengers is so tied into stuff, the secret wars thing at the end was, I had a weird moment of like, wow, how kind of excited, like I felt more excited reading 
it this time than when I was reading people disappearing into Secret Wars in in the real time when I was reading the comics. It was kind of like, oh, my God. Like, I had that moment like, God, what if the Secret Wars had been good? Jesus, just think. <laughs> you know? Spoilers. It wasn't. <laughs> it really it really was not. It, there the is crazy thing. Yeah. We've made it through this entire podcast, and we've not talked about the 10 DC movies that were announced, mm-hmm. or the fact that Marvel is has announced, A, a massive Secret Wars event for 2015, yeah. or B, is now advertising the return of Civil War, yeah. Age of Ultron versus Marvel Zombies, yeah. uh, years of future past, mm-hmm. and today they announced... Uh, World War Hulk, right? World War Hulk, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's oh, Planet Hulk. Planet Hulk. Oh, sorry, Planet is. Hulk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. They're really trolling us, <laughs> Marvel. <laughs> no, they they kind of are. What's fascinating to me is there's a bunch of um, interesting news that came out of New York uh, Comic Con mm-hmm. uh, in terms of Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think Catherine Nimmin and doing the Peggy Carter series for Jealous. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, really happy that G. Willow Wilson's taken over X-Men for mm-hmm. at least an arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Spider-Gwen stuff made a lot of people really happy. Mm-hmm. I think Nicole Perelman doing Marvel stuff is super exciting. Yeah. Um, and yet the fact that this stuff is what gets the big play well, makes Marvel look weirdly retrogressive in a way that they're actually not. Well, see, that's the thing that I think is fascinating to me is I really do have to give Marvel some credit as I honestly, I was reluctant to, but I think Graham made a good case when he and I were emailing earlier in the week. There is a way in which Marvel really did listen to fans and it took a while, uh, but they, I mean, this is kind of like, there's actual female creators on female books after people were complaining and asking and complaining and asking the fact that the news cycle that they're, that what they're actually there to push is the return of secret war or civil war is like, eh, you know, is, is sad, but it's not surprising. Marvel doesn't have a lot of faith in the retailers. I don't necessarily know how they feel about their fans, but I think they're the, they definitely, what they put out in the marketplace and what, what they choose to push shows, um, a lot, a, a certain, there's a certain lack of faith that I feel comes out in stuff like even in Tom Prevort's Tumblr and stuff that is, there's a, a very strong undercurrent of, well, we would do better stuff, but it really doesn't sell. And it's not what people are interested. This is what people are interested in. And that's just the way it is, you know, that I find frustrating, really frustrating and also not entirely true. So, yeah. I, I feel Marvel has a disdain. Mm-hmm. For the retailers, maybe yeah. that comes that comes through, especially in Brevo's uh, Tumblr. Yeah, I, I, I think Brevo's Tumblr actually comes across as incredibly disdainful of the mass audience and the retailers. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Didn't he have something recently where people were kind of like, "Oh my god!" Like, like in the last, not this week, but like last week, didn't he reply to somebody in a way that was kind of that 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 once again like raised some hackles. Uh, maybe, but I don't think I saw it. Okay. If you didn't see it, then I'm imagining it. So, um, yeah, very strange. I do have to say though, that I understand, I don't know. It it sounds like they're going to fold all these like return events that they're talking about in a way that's going to be, uh, um, you know, 
them yanking our chains. But I have to say, I really understand how an Age of Ultron Marvel Zombies uh, crossover would play out. And it's almost kind of brilliant. There's something kind of elegant about it, you know? Uh, I, I I think here's the thing. I think none of them are bad ideas, and if they fold them all into Secret Wars, which is what I expect them to do, yeah, I think there's there's an argument for like do them doing them as a series of one shots in the summer, right? Sure, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, which is, but yeah, I, maybe that's it. Maybe you can't really can't get more than one issue out of Age of Ultron versus. Well, Marvel you can't zombies. really. What is it? It's a horde of zombies versus a horde of zombies. I think the idea that the, you, the joke wears thin pretty quickly. Well, Jack. I guess I mean they uh, having followed a couple of the other Marvel zombie storylines. I think that there's kind of an interesting idea behind a universe of cannibals meets a universe of robots where no one can be cannibalized. Um, and then you put someone, for example, Machine Man, who's been like a previous hero of several different Marvel zombie crossovers, right in the middle as somebody who's I don't know the 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 player stuck in the middle. It could work. Like looking at it, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe you couldn't get four issues out of it. But I, 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 I that was at least one of those that I looked at and I went, oh, I see how they're good. They could do that. That'd be kind of interesting. Everything else, I'm just kind of like, I had a real weird. Just the fact that the Civil War stuff was looked like recycled so such strongly yeah, recycled it, art it, it looked yeah it was like oh that's actually civil war mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah with that moment of like i i have having horrible flashbacks but here's the thing that when they announced that the movies might be doing civil war or mm-hmm. announced when it was reported yes. that the movies might be doing civil war right um did you not have a moment of like at heart civil war is not the worst idea yeah no it's just the comic was terrible yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no uh Civil War is is was a not a bad idea at the time and b frankly as a my only problem with it is is the idea of having a movie franchise start to collapse in on itself like that um so early yeah so early honestly i'm kind of like you guys could actually get a nice longer range of like you know, three or four more Avengers movies at least before you turn in and do that. And well, yet, the other thing is they've still got the uh, Thanos thing going on as mm-hmm. well. Like, right. I, I really, I very much worry that they're going to the Civil War and then then they're going to be like, and everyone comes back together to fight Thanos, which is horrible because it, it just it feels like it's extending the Thanos thing far too long, and you're yeah. just trying the patience of the audience. Yeah. I, I sort of, I sort of agree as well, but we'll see what happens. But I think we're really lucky that Avengers 2 wasn't, uh, Civil, Civil War. And so in a way, part of me is like, huh, I kind of thought it almost seemed like they were going to be, you know, sort of like Civil War was your ace in the hole. Like when you finally got to the point where people stopped showing up for the movies or or you you were starting to see diminishing returns then you have all your heroes fight each other so but i don't know i we'll see we'll see where things go it also seems to me like there's kind of a weird i don't know I, uh, it was interesting news i love the fact that there's interesting news that there's actually the idea that people are like oh and then you know robert downey junior wanted a bigger part in it and then Ike Perlmutter like got pissed off, and now that they're now the two of them are at war, I was kind of like, hmm, 
That's a great rumor. I don't even know if that's true. I just want to sit there and think about it being true for a while. <laughs> I just want to think about Ike Palmieri. Yeah. 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 So, um, anyway, it, it, that, uh, Graham, we so far got, we got so far away from saying goodbye. <laughs> we did. Uh, we were actually in the middle of saying goodbye. This must be a record of our ability to get completely out of sync yeah, with ourselves. It's true. Our this is out of all the various bait and switch farewells that we've done. This is this is definitely the most successful. Because I I really am. I'm ready to start talking for another two hours about this. But instead, we'll have to save it for two weeks from now, everybody. Um, when we'll all have forgotten about it. Exactly. Exactly. So thank you so much. Um, I think we have our usual thing that I don't have open, but that Graham mentioned. Hunt us up on Tumblr. Thank you to all the wonderful souls uh, on Patreon who helped support us and make this possible. I think I usually mention it in my show notes, but of course I'm not going to the right page. Um, I think as of right now, there we have 80... One supporters that can't be right. I, uh, I no, no, that does actually sound right. Yeah, eighty-two patrons. We're actually at eighty-two patrons right now, um, who make this all possible. We're super grateful to you. Definitely come by waitwhatpodcast.com to see the show notes, including Garburner's uh, brilliant uh, album cover, the uh, explanation of what happens my R&B career, and lots and lots of show notes about uh, this podcast. And Graham, do you want to sing us out? Just because it's you, Jeff. Aww. Bye! Yeah, that was beautiful. <laughs> I had to do the R&B yeah. thing on there. Yeah, you know yeah. it. You know what I mean. So, anyway. <laughs> oh, God, that just could be even creepier. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs>